Our vision in biogeometry is to create a new future by achieving a harmonious integration of human activities with the multidimensional natural environment and all other dimensions of creation. And the way that we envision doing this is by bringing the multi-level life force into the achievements of modern technology. And the main purpose of this is really to diffuse the dangers that we're finding from the effect that modern technology has on our, not just our, you know, immunity level and physical body, but the dangers that we're exposing ourselves to with modern technology when we're actually seeing effects on emotional and mental levels. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is Dorea Karim. Dorea is the Director and Vice President of Biogeometry Energy Systems Limited. She has taught many trainings across the world aimed at introducing the principles of biogeometry. Biogeometry uses the subtle energy effects of geometric shapes to induce harmony in our modern technological environments. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast for two special offers from Dorea. Hello, everybody. I suspect many of you have listened to my first podcast with Dr. Ibrahim Karim, founder of Biogeometry, and his daughter, Doria Karim. I was overjoyed when our podcast manager, James Phelps, informed me that the Biogeometry podcast, even at three plus hours in length, had moved into first position as our most listened to podcast to date. Biogeometry is not only an extremely important form of technology that we really need to help us deal with the extensive electromagnetic pollution we have in the world today, it's a science of shape and a means of gaining a much deeper understanding of life, the multiple dimensions that interpenetrate the earth plane, and the amazing power of subtle energies in our life. Though Dr. Kareem has taken time off from podcasting to finish his upcoming book on the qualitative aspects of energy and how to assess them, Doria was happy to support me in pursuing my interest in biogeometry and sharing these explorations with all of you. Doria is one of the most intelligent women I've ever interacted with or interviewed, as you will soon see. Her lifetime of influence by her father, a celebrated architect and scientist in Egypt and many countries around the world, has educated her and her siblings exquisitely well, and in this podcast she delivers a wealth of deep practical knowledge that we can all benefit from right now. In this deep, informative podcast on biogeometry and its applications to life, we get into such key topics as the mission and vision of biogeometry, a recap of exactly what biogeometry is, a clarification on what subtle energies are, what the biggest challenges we face in the world today are, and how biogeometry technologies can help us individually, as families, nations, cultures, and the world, including protecting nature. An exploration into the root causes of the many challenges biogeometry is helping alleviate. An exploration of the positive and negative energy grids and lines in the earth and their effects on us. How many of the problems that we face result from not staying connected to the earth and engaging in authentic practices of worship, rituals, and spiritual practices that are necessary to make holistic choices at every level of our personal, professional, and collective lives. The biogeometry perspective on what consciousness is, 
we explore the importance of understanding the subjective aspects, not just the objective aspects of numbers. Why the energy classification of BG3, the centering energy of the heart, is so essential to all of us and life itself. What our DNA is and how it works as a cosmic antenna system. The nature of spin in the universe and subatomic particles and what makes the energies of the four directions unique. Doria explains how her father identified power spots in the sky and their importance and the consequences of filling the Earth's orbit with space junk, which is now happening at an alarming rate with so many 5G satellites being sent into space. How the biogeometry L90 pendant effectively protects us not only from the negative energetic influences of technology, but is very effective at protecting us from those practicing black magic, as well as protecting us from entity possession. We finish with an overview of the biogeometry home kit and what it can do to greatly enhance your home environment, not just on the physical, but on the emotional and mental levels of your being. This is truly one of the most amazing podcasts I've ever done and is loaded with excellent, eye-opening, highly relevant information that can change your life and inspire you to engage yourself more fully, become grounded in a spiritual practice, and be the change the world needs now, instead of waiting for someone to come along and clean up the mess we've all contributed to, directly or indirectly. Enjoy the amazing, wise woman, Doria Kareem, and our deep, potent dialogue on biogeometry and the nature of life in the world and the subtle dimensions we all need to be aware of. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, I'm super excited for our Biogeometry 2 podcast. This time, we have Doria. Her father is busy writing his new book and probably uh, engaging all sorts of people all over the world. But uh, I'm really excited to share with Doria today. She's truly an expert at biogeometry, and I love, love, love hearing her opinions on things. I know many of you have listened to the first podcast with Ibrahim and Doria Kareem because it's right now taking over first spot for the most listened to podcast of the last 105 or so podcasts, which is awesome, awesome, awesome. So Doria, welcome back to Living 4D with Paul Check. Yeah, baby. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. You know, we we covered a lot of ground in the first podcast with your dad and you. And I looked at the list of questions and there was still a few that we didn't actually directly address. But, you know, not only is biogeometry really deep because it's accessing multiple dimensions and is a, a very beautiful combination of ancient wisdom and modern technology. But the science of it and the applications of it and the spirituality of it is is so deep that I think that there's just lots to share with people. And I think that the conversation that we're going to have today, as the last conversation we had, also offers people a, a new awareness in many ways of a lot of aspects of life. So I'm excited to uh, share you today and get into the concepts and as you can see from the list of questions and dialogue points I, I gave you, I wanted to revisit some of the concepts because inevitably there'll be people listening to this podcast that haven't listened to the first one. And I'd like to just sort of lay the foundation so that as we move into some of the deeper discussions, people are able to follow us. So 
to begin with, what is the vision and mission of biogeometry? So our vision in biogeometry is to create a new future by achieving a harmonious integration of human activities with the multidimensional natural environment and all other dimensions of creation. And the way that we envision doing this is by bringing the multi-level life force into the achievements of modern technology. And the main purpose of this is really to diffuse the dangers that we're finding from the effect that modern technology has on our, not just our, you know, immunity level and physical body, but the dangers that we're exposing ourselves to with modern technology when we're actually seeing effects on emotional and mental levels. So it's a big part of our vision where, you know, at one point, I think in the last interview, we touched upon um, this concept of the new golden age and that there's this new golden age that is coming, but that golden age, we can't just sit back and wait for it. And we have to be a part of making it happen. And so right now, it's kind of like we're on the tipping point of if it's going to happen, we need to put in the work. And, and a part of this work is, is stepping back and realizing ourselves as a multidimensional energy being and the effects of all of the products uh, of modern technology are creating in our bodies because we've moved away from natural design laws. And so, you know, this is basically what we're trying to do in biogeometry is bring in these centering qualities to help enhance life force in all of the products around us. Yes. You know, the thing about gold is when you dig it out of the earth, you have to smelt it. First, you got to dig it up. Mm -hmm. Then you got to carry it to a hot, hot fire and bring all the stuff that's not gold to the surface and sift it out, which in alchemy is called the separatio process. And that's the work we're doing in. We're, we're in the smelting phase right now worldwide where we have to sit in the fire and decide what is it that we want to keep because it brings harmony and connection and peace and integration with each other and with nature. And what is it that we need to let go of? And the real transition, as you know, is we've created a world that's based on things like burning fossil fuels and dangerous chemicals and dangerous electronic technologies. And we're going to be tasked with using the same genius and the same computer capacity and technology to recreate these technologies in ways that they still offer us the benefits, but get rid of all the negative effects by using a more comprehensive, creative and scientific approach and the other thing I think so important about the biogeometry approach is that it integrates nature. We, we have to make our technologies earth-friendly or we're going to kill the mother that feeds us. So I think the mission and vision of biogeometry are beautiful and very, very aligned with the mission, vision, and values of the Czech Institute, which is what excites me so much. No, I think us too. I mean, when you bring up the alchemists, one of the things that we always um, speak about is looking at the alchemist. There's two ways to look at the alchemist, which is basically that when we look at the creation of gold, you know, there's a difference between looking at the creation of gold as the physical gold or understanding the creation of gold as a certificate 
as to this energy that you, the subtle energy level you've achieved or the one that you were able to enter into resonance with through changing the energy quality of the heart. And that's a part of our whole mission to bring this, like you're mentioning, into, into modern technology. And it's one of the big things in the first, um, whenever we're giving a lot of lectures and, and, and teaching classes, one of the first things that we say is, um, if we're going to be talking about, you know, a lot of people talk about bridging, uh, this concept of bridging science with spirituality. And they think that the way to do this is to try to explain spirituality scientifically. And, you know, we've said that's not really the, the path. It's, it's one path. But instead, what we do is we look at when we talk about science and we talk about um, what is the benefits of science, we look at practicality. So in biogeometry, we're trying to bridge the gap between science and spirituality by using spirituality practically. I think that's the only real true spirituality there is. And, uh, you know, Jung says intellectualism is a common cover-up for fear of direct experience. And I think what we have happening in the world today is a lot of intellectual approaches to spirituality that are very, very heady, but not much of it ends up in the practice of relationship to person, place, or thing, or self. And so it really just becomes another sort of academic version. I define the spiritual person as one who takes responsibility for what they create moment to moment, because I don't think anything else really uh, matters at the end of the day. Exactly. I mean, our definition of spirituality is excellence of action. And there you go. And so, and yeah, and, and you said, I mean, with intellectualism, you just feel that there's an experience that they're experiencing or trying to put into words that is, you know, a step removed from what is actually trying to be conveyed. Yes. Well, I, I love that. I have a question for you. You seem to have done some study in alchemy. I've studied alchemy extensively, and I don't know if I shared with you last time, but I created my own system of alchemy, which is works at the physiological level, the emotional level, the mental level, the social level, so a so form of social alchemy or alchemy for the psyche as well as the spiritual level. And in all my years and years of research, one of the things I found is that there's all sorts of conflicting opinions on what they refer to as the stone in alchemy, and my conclusion is, is that the when the alchemists use the term term cultivating the stone, I've come to the conclusion that what they're referring to is that ultimately the stone is the accumulation of the applied knowledge and wisdom of the authentic practice of alchemy as a spiritual practice. I'm curious, what is your interpretation of the stone? Um, I can't say I've studied alchemy as as extensively as, as you have, but looking at alchemy from a biogeometry perspective and what it is that we are trying to, uh, for lack of a better word, enter into resonance with, or what we say is actually bring, connect to and bring down into the physical is when we look at, when we look at biogeometry and, and we, you know, we, the listeners who, who probably heard the last podcast know that we talk a lot about sacred power spots. And we talk about being able to identify these sacred power spots. And a part of being able to identify the energy qualities is actually being able to, we use specific um, wavelength instruments 
to tune into energy qualities that we find at sacred sites. And one of those energy qualities is actually the energy quality of gold. But because we don't see physical gold at these sacred sites, we call it a higher harmonic of gold. And we understand gold as when somebody is in resonance with the gold energy quality, when we find a lot of it in, a, in their body or in a location, um, we understand that there's a shift in, um, in their energy system that actually puts them into that multidimensional universal connection and, and resonance that we've been speaking about, along with two other um, energy qualities that we uh, call a higher harmonic of ultraviolet and a higher harmonic of negative green. But what we look at now in, in when we look at the alchemist, we look at the type of work that needs to be done so that we are actually picking up all of, we're able to measure that energy quality so strongly in the body. And it's that change, that relationship between the pineal gland, the heart, and accessing that certain environmental energy qualities through certain times and rituals to be able to actually bring that higher harmonic of gold into the physical gold. Yeah, I think one of the things that was coming to my mind as I was listening to you is that we have a, a worldwide crisis of perpetual busyness and distraction from the chronic addiction to and use of electrical gadgets and and the fact that we're living in a the myth the myth of consumerism where people basically try to medicate themselves from almost everything by purchasing something that they think is going to make them better whether it be an object or food or some kind of biohacking device or whatever it might be but what i've found through my entire life of research and practice and working with people and doing the work that I find is essential to helping people heal and center themselves and gain connection to their own soul is the need for a well-grounded ritual that allows them to have time each day for stillness and for being in and with themselves and to get their bare feet on the earth and to have a ritual around which makes not only eating, but the awareness of where you're spending money on your food and therefore where it's coming from is either an investment in the earth or an investment in the destruction of the earth. And therefore having really good values around food, food quality, water, and our relationship to the earth, our relationship to making movement sacred so that we take care of our bodies because they're the interface with consciousness and you know having a sacred ritual for being responsible for doing things that are truly happy making for us that don't have an outcome involved so we 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 have to identify as a spiritual practice what am i going to do that is happy making for me and what am i really doing for myself and the world that is making meaning for me so that I have a sense of reason for why I do what I do? How am I going to move my body, feed my body, and rest my body and have time for intimate personal relationship with the higher aspects of myself, the soul, the higher self? Because without that, 
most people don't gain the repetition that it takes and the clearing that it takes to really begin to open the gates to what Jung would call the self with a capital S-E-L-F, which is the consciousness of and the wisdom of Mother Earth or the world itself. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Organified Balance is an excellent pre and probiotic with seven different essential strains of pre and probiotics to enhance your microbiome, decrease gas and bloating, and support improved immune system and total body function. If you look at the research on the microbiome today, it's clear that the quality and balance of your gut bacteria impacts just about every function in your body. Each serving of Organifi Balance contains 20 billion colony-forming units, and that is guaranteed. It improves digestion and absorption of vitamins and minerals, and it boosts immune response. Simply add to water or any cold drink, or go the extra mile to enhance your health and vitality and add Organifi Balance to Organifi Green, Red, Gold, or Pure Juice Mixes, or to an Organifi Complete Protein Shake to support your gut, immune system, metabolism, and experience total body satisfaction. Organifi makes being healthy quick and easy for the whole family. My family, friends, and clients all love Organifi, and I'm confident you will too. Living 4D listeners get 20% off Organifi products when entering the discount code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20 during checkout. So go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, to get your Organifi balance and shop for all the great and easy-to-use nutrition products that your family needs. I mean, part of the excellence of action that we speak about is that, you know, what you just mentioned in the beginning, kind of the consumer society where there's everything is to be solved from the outside. That is a very much ego-driven left brain type of approach. And one of the things that rituals can do is part of excellence of action is how can we have our actions actually be opening and constantly bridging a door to what we call the right brain universal holistic consciousness, which is supposed to guide us in our ethics and our actions and our thoughts. And so ritual actually does that for us. Ritual will move us from that left brain to that right brain um, holistic worldview, especially because some of the things you mentioned, such as movement, but movement with a purpose and a specific movement allows us to go through that tunnel in order to bring in those balancing universal natural laws into every action that we do. Yes, I think part of the process we're all going through and what we're ultimately talking about is what's absolutely necessary to distinguish the sacred from the profane. And I think until we collectively realize what values connect us with the sacred, and that is everything that gives us life from the microorganisms in the soil to the rivers, the streams, the oceans, the skies, the animals, the entire great chain of being, getting past racial, ethnic, ethnic, and religious differences to realize that the world itself is one. The lines people draw on maps are just imaginary lines that really we defend out of an illusion of separation and difference when really what we need 
as human beings is the same thing all the creatures in nature need. We need healthy soil, clean water. We need to be careful about overheating the planet through the abuse of carbon fuels and industrial technologies and electromagnetic technologies like 5G that heat up the atmosphere in people's bodies. We need to reevaluate how we use military technology to make it, uh, <laughs> to get rid of it. That's right. to make it what? To make it obsolete. Um, but the point I'm driving at is really, you know, we, we, uh, we have a, a chance to really identify what is sacred because if we don't turn quickly to the sacred, then we're going to have to, uh, unfortunately, question the Hopi prophecy, which showed that if we don't make changes to get back in harmony with the earth, then life as we know it just comes to a dead stop. But they showed in their drawings of their prophecy for the future that if we get back to the earth and start living close to the earth, then the trail that they drew to represent the lifeline continues all the way around the great big huge rock that it was uh, carved into. So I think that's back to the smelting process and deciding what is profane and therefore a stressor at one or more levels of significance and what is sacred and therefore keeps us in a state of uh, life, love, well-being, and connection with each other. I think we have all the resources on the planet to feed everybody, educate everybody, and inspire everybody to realize that they're all part of the human family and we're all part of the family of nature and that we don't need to have all these wars and divisions and scams like COVID and manipulation and we need to upgrade our education system so people learn how to think instead of being told what to think. No, I mean, definitely in the sense that, you know, going back and talking about the maps and, and drawing lines, you know, one way that you, you, when, when we get into the work of biometry, one way that you know that we're on the right path is that when we talk about a spiritual energy quality, this spiritual energy quality exists not only in our spiritual practices, as well as those of ancient civilizations, it's a spiritual energy quality that we find animals acknowledging, that we find plants thriving from. And this is, um, this is one of the, the ways when we look at sacred power spots and why it's so important to us is we actually see a unifying system that can bring in so many different beliefs. And, and like I said, go back to everything that we just spoke about, even in terms of animals and plants. And so this is one of the reasons that we keep stressing the concept that we are the environment. And we talk a lot in biogeometry that, you know, we, we talk a lot about multidimensional levels, you know, emotional levels, mental levels, spiritual levels. But one of the main things that we always stress is how those levels are all connected through a harmonic unity and everything is in resonance. Yes, that's critical. It all emerges from the one. Um, you know, the, the, there's so much research showing that not only at a at a global level, but at a a universal level, and even a multi-dimensional level. I mean, if God is God, then there 
God means that for which there is no other source. So, you know, it's always baffled me as to why people continue to practice various religions and and uh, spiritual practices, but carry harsh biases that separate them from other people when the ultimate source is that for which there is no other and that from which all emerges. And therefore, our highest aspiration should be to achieve a level of love, connection, appreciation, and celebration with all people and all beings that we come to see the embodiment of that which seems to be elusive or invisible because if god is god then we're looking at it <laughs> we're in the mirror looking at it <laughs> and and when we're talking about this this golden age and, and and the process that you're speaking about i mean one of the things that we need to acknowledge is when we talk about that we need to put in work for it is we do need to acknowledge if every action, if every thought, um, I mean, like you said, it was to take responsibility for every moment, but we need to realize is every action or every thought feeding the, if we want to say the word God or the one or the manifestation of the universal mind into our daily activities, is it what part of our body or of our subtle energy system is it feeding? Is it feeding these actions that are going to keep us separated from the whole, or are we moving towards universal laws and universal unity through our rituals, which is the basis of all rituals since ancient times? Yes. Well, it's, it's because we're doing this podcast together and there may be some people that didn't listen to part one. So if you're listening to this and you haven't heard part one, it's phenomenal. And I don't care how many degrees you have or how advanced you are. There is a lot in there. I've had some of the smartest people around the world that I know email me after listening to that podcast and say it blew their minds. So there's something in there. But to, to just sort of lay the base for anyone listening to us for the first time on biogeometry, can you please explain an encapsulation for the novice what biogeometry actually is? Sure, and I'll I'll just add to what you said, and I'll say I'll definitely echo that that everybody should listen to that first podcast because we were just talking about how my father's writing a new book, and and that podcast actually went into a lot of the information that we want to um, begin to cultivate in this new book and and the information that we're bringing out in biogeometry. Um, and you know when we talk about what is biogeometry, so biogeometry is a design language of shape, and we follow. Uh, the principles of the forming process in nature in order to introduce a spiritually connected harmony into the environment. So in other words, we have a practical method through energy of shape, which is a form of free energy, to basically induce this connected universal harmony into products of modern technology. And this is what led to, so you know, when, when we say use spirituality practically, we're you can see that in that we've had so many successful environmental solutions where, for example, um, probably our most well-known solution was uh, in two towns in, in Switzerland, two regions in Switzerland, where there was health issues caused from electromagnetic radiation. And we went in and installed these shapes onto the cell towers and you could see, you know, 60 to 70% of all health symptoms just disappearing. You know, I, I, I understand what you mean. 
uh, with uh, shape as a means of uh, affecting energy. Um, I'm going to take a crack at an analogy here, but I'd like it if you can expand to fill in whatever I'm missing, because I think the listeners may be having a hard time conceiving of shape and the concept of biogeometry and doing things like changing electromagnetic pollution. So here's a simple way of looking at shape. Most, Some of you may not be old enough to have had a television or a radio with an aerial on it. But if you've ever used a television or a radio with an aerial, oftentimes you turn it on and due to the position of the earth at that moment or weather patterns, you either have to lengthen or shorten one or both arms of the aerial or move the aerials until all of a sudden the signal gets clear. So what's happening is you're changing the shape of the aerial, which affects the waveforms that it can pick up due to the fact that there has to be a mathematical relationship with the wave and the antenna that picks up the signal. And so by changing the shape, you change the relationship to frequency. Another way to look at shape is you think of water as, as an analogy for energy and information flow. If you have a hose and you bend it and kink it, it can seriously disrupt the flow of the energy and information in this analogy. But if you keep it open so that it flows well, then you have access to the greatest potential that that water flow can give you for cleaning the driveway or washing your car or what have you. Doria, that's my attempt to try to make something fairly complex, simple. Is there anything you'd like to do to hop it up a little or clarify it? I mean, I, I think that was, um, that was, a very good attempt. I think it came through and those who don't understand the concept now would. I mean, one of the things that we always talk about when it comes to shape and energy quality is um, that white light, as we see it go through a prism. And then as we get different refractions of that light, we experience different colors or we see different colors. So every single angle gives us a different frequency. And when we even begin to look at that, you know, when we talk about shape, a lot of times we talk about waves. So one of the things that we actually talk about a lot of times now is we move into a world where everybody's talking about vibration. We love to use the term frequency. But when we begin to look at now a wave quality, what we find is at just like with the prism, where every refraction gives us a different energy quality. Well, every single, um, when we look at a sine wave, it's the angle of incidence of that sine wave as it crosses that horizontal, you know, if you imagine a horizontal zero line, that is what determines the wave quality, not the frequency. So you could have a sine wave with the same frequency, but as we change the amplitude, we actually get a different quality. And they've even done studies where they've looked at the effect on the body of things like sine waves versus square waves versus triangle waves and have seen that the body reacts differently. And then, of course, you know, the one that always everybody goes, yeah, you know, I, I can't believe I didn't remember that one is um, you want to know about shape energy. Look at the pyramids of Egypt. Yes. Also, something very, very practical and easy to understand is I would just encourage everybody to think if there was a time in your life when your body was in really good physical condition, you were eating well. In other words, your body had beautiful shape. 
how it affected your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your energy levels, your mental clarity, your willingness to engage, explore your creativity. But think of what happens as you let yourself go. You make excuses. You start eating junk food. You're getting too lazy to purchase or cook real food for yourself. As your body shape becomes more and more distorted relative to your own ideal, then you actually have an alteration of the shape that alters the frequencies that you naturally interact with. And when you're eating foods, you're eating things that carry frequency and information and energy. And the quality of the food determines the quality of the information within the food, which either informs your body how to maintain its ideal shape or it doesn't. So I think anybody who's got any experience at life and has gone through periods in their life where they're under a lot of stress or going through a divorce or any number of things that ultimately results in us being too stressed to really manage ourselves well can realize that there's a direct connection between shape and our own experience. And the science of yoga itself is a science of postures. So if you think of the body as an antenna system, each yoga pose is putting the antenna of the body in a specific pose that attracts different frequencies from different dimensions that bring the energy and information that bring harmony based on whatever the uh, posture you're using is designed to support you with. And they have much of that in Chinese medicine. And I use that in my own book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy as the zone exercises. Yeah, and I was going to mention that because I remember you mentioned that you practice Qigong. And, and when you were speaking now, it's going to say, well, so Qigong, yoga, those are examples of shaping the body and then changing the energy effects that you're getting. I mean, when we look at the body as well, when we talk about shape, really any part of the body that we can shape begins to have very significant energy qualities. So the hand is one, right? So if we talk about the mudras, the tongue is also one. So the tongue is actually a really and so in a lot of practices um, they will tell you to lift the tongue to the roof of the mouth and when we're doing this in biogeometry we actually study how positioning the tongue and touching different parts of the roof of the mouth activates different organs in the body and how you you can use this for healing um you know maybe if we're talking about shapes one of the things i should mention since we talked a little bit about the birth of uh, what is biogeometry and the birth of biogeometry is that um, the, the founder, my father, who was on the earlier podcast, when we lo look at the origin story of biogeometry, just very briefly so that I'm not repeating what I'm sure he went into last, is uh, being, a, he's a professor of architecture and uh, having his degree in architecture, he spent a lot of time studying um, the history of ancient cities and ancient civilizations. And one of the things he noticed was uh, really how civilizations were focused upon specific areas and you could dig down in a sacred spot of one civilization and then find another that another civilization had it as their sacred spot and so on. And then when he started to look at what is the energy quality of these sacred spots, that's actually the, the cornerstone of biogeometry. It's that centering energy quality, which is a multidimensional vortex at all earth energy spots and in our bodies and chakras, anything where um, in, in chakras and sacred power spots and acupuncture points. And when he started to look at what is um, creates the sacred energy, he noticed that it was specific um, streams below the power spots crossing at 
specific angles. And so that is what brought this into the domain of architecture and design and shape and helped us develop a design language because we started to study even the shape of the human body and looked at the origin of the shape of the human body, why we're designed. That's great. Paleo Valley makes some incredible superfood bars that are a lot different than what most people think of as a superfood bar. I've got Autumn Smith, the creator of their superfood bars, right here to tell you about them. Autumn, what is so unique about your awesome superfood bars? Well, our superfood bars are unique because not only do they not contain refined sugar or GMOs or any of the freaky additives that you'll find in most bars or gluten or anything, but they're just whole foods. They're low in sugar. They're made with superfoods like ginger and broccoli and acerola cherry and collagen from grass-fed and finished animals, which we all know is like a fountain of youth. And so the best part about them, though, is probably the flavor. They come in chocolate and apple cinnamon, and we have so many more delicious flavors to come, and they're easy to put in your bag to feed for you with your kids. And I hope you love them all as much as I do. All you have to do to get access is go to paleovalley.com, and you can use the code CHECK15, that's lowercase C-H-E-K, 15, and you can get 15% off. And I hope you love them. That's awesome. And just so you know, that's P-A-L-E-O valley.com. And I know you're going to love Autumn Superfood Bars. You know, uh, one, of the, one of my books that I really love is uh, called Punk Science, Inside the Mind of God by Dr. Uh, Manjir Samantha Lawton. And in there, she talks about uh, all the different ways that the whole Big Bang model is very, very off and wrong based on all the current science that we have. And when you were talking about shape and, and refraction through a crystal, one of the things she brought up in there is she showed diagrams of how when you're looking at waves depending on the angle that you're perceiving the wave, it can give you very different perspectives on what's there. And she was bringing up the point that the reason people have kind of gotten caught in this whole idea that the galaxy is uh, 13.7 billion years old based on redshift is she was describing how they're looking at redshift from a specific angular perspective. But if you change the perspective, it tells you a completely different story so I just thought I'd share that because it's interesting because even at the level of cosmology, they're l- realizing that the angle that you look at any given wave could change what you perceive is actually being conveyed as information. Yeah, and, and that, you know, one of the things that we actually use is we look at now angles. Once we begin to see that as you change the angle, you change the energy quality, like with the prism we're actually able to, we, we've developed angular instruments to measure energy. So instruments where we change the angle and then we can measure different energy qualities. We use angles as part of our solutions um, as well. So it basically in, in by geometry, I mean, we said it's a science of shape, but when we begin to look at our world as a vibration and through the physics of quality and by geometry, what we find is we look at every sensory experience as a window to where every sensory experience is a manifestation of an abstract universal quality and every sensory experience opens the window for us to go back to that, you know, centering quality, if we want to call it the the point, the origin, the one. 
uh, we call it, you know, we, we refer to it in the, um, uh, in the past interview, we were talking about the divan, where we have that universal consciousness that will then manifest into the universal mind. Yes, I love that. You know, what I'd like to do just again to sort of help everybody, even if you heard the previous podcasts, I think uh, this is worth revisiting again. Could you please explain what subtle energy or subtle energies are so our listeners are clear of exactly what you mean when you use the term subtle energy? Sure. So, um, you know, as, as we use them in the, in the physics of quality and by geometry, um, when we say subtle energy, we're referring to the collective multidimensional levels of background energy that are beyond the limited electromagnetic dimension. So, you know, again, when, when we spoke about these levels, we talked about a form of multidimensional harmonic resonance that connects those levels up to the primordial level of the creation of duality. So really, when we've been mentioning that universal mind, so it's the background stage of the universal mind. You know, the, the analogy we gave from uh, the book my father was writing is that where these fish and, you know, we're, we're trying to basically living in a fishbowl, trying to figure out how to interact with and create water or create water, actually, when all we need to do is figure out how to interact with it so that we are bringing our solutions to that multidimensional balancing level, which is the work of biogeometry. It's opening, it's everything is a doorway. Yeah, I love that. Now, one of the description I've heard or read for subtle energies is those energies which are beyond the uh, perceptual experience of measure of our five senses or standard instrumentation. Uh, how does that fit with your model? Yeah, I think that fits perfectly. It's just that we stress that when we say subtle energy, we are basically referring to all the planes of nature from the primordial level down to our physical level. And so it's encompassing this whole picture. Now, something I can't remember if I put into our discussion points for today, but we're in a perfect place to bring it up right now is subtle energies are often um, perceived by people in general as insignificant because they're subtle. So it's kind of like, um, you know, if it's, you know, a hurricane is obvious, the heat of a fire is obvious. Uh, the thrust of a car's engine is obvious, but one of the things that I'd like to dialogue with you a little bit on is the fact that subtle energies aren't so subtle. So would you like to share, begin by sharing some of your thoughts, feelings, and experiences about how something that seems intangible to the sensory systems or even is elusive to a lot of materialist scientific people is actually extremely powerful. So are you up for sharing some examples of that? Sure. I mean, one of the things that we always stress, and it seems a little bit logical, but we don't live our life within this worldview. And this is important when it comes to subtle energy is we, we separate between this concept of absolute reality versus perceived reality. And we look at perce well, perceived reality, the reality that we perceive, we think of the brain 
as basically, you know, you could think of it as a computer that is sensitive to specific frequencies or specific vibrations. And as far as we're concerned, the rest don't exist. But when we look at a subtle energy level, we understand that even though we can only perceive perceived reality, we live within absolute reality and we are affected by absolute reality. And so for us to try to solve all the world's problems within perceived reality is not logical. Amen. And this is, we need to step beyond perceived reality into absolute reality. And so then, you know, like you're saying, so then people come and say, but subtle energy, you know, if it's not measurable now, first of all, you know, not measurable, not measurable in a quantitative, um, maybe electromagnetic device manner, but your body is an antenna and your body, you can tune into this antenna and use a qualitative scale to open up the window so that all of absolute reality becomes possible to interact with. And then when we talk about that, so you're right. So when we talk about subtle energy and when we talk about that term subtle, isn't maybe the best term because we talk about, you know, energy that moves much faster than the speed of light. So a lot of times, subtle energy, we most of the time we're referring to compression waves that move much faster than the speed of light. And as you get higher and higher and higher in speed, you move from vital energy to emotional, to mental, to spiritual. But when we begin to work with these energy levels, we find, and, and one of the biggest things that we spoke about in, in the earlier podcast was how the importance of proving by geometry, but how to actually go about doing that is to use subtle energy to solve problems that modern technology cannot do which has been part of the goal of biogeometry. And, you know, for, for years, if we talk about, you know, now the effects of it not being subtle, you know, we did, we were part of a hepatitis C trial. And in that hepatitis C trial, uh, they took a little, what they, at the time they called a chip because it looked like a, like a computer chip with all of these shapes on it. And they asked if biogeometry could be part of the study. And my father graciously accepted since he really, being a, a a form of shape energy, you know, you can't really force them to be part of the study, but they were looking at all of the solutions for hepatitis C and biogeometry scored. So it was in three stages. In the first stage, biogeometry scored 90% in normalizing liver enzymes. Wow. The next solution that scored, um, the next up was actually interferon was at 20 to 30%. Now that study was shut down. Um, the reason we're able to talk about it and back it up is actually the, the professor himself, the head of the medical department, after seeing the preliminary stages, the preliminary um, um, kind of research, preliminary research, preliminary effects, seeing really what was um, happening. And then they did the specific tests for those who can um, afford them to show viral clearance and those who they tested it was about 90% had full viral clearance in that study. He went out on national television um, and actually went out and said, we are testing biogeometry. We do have, we, we're putting in all of the testing criteria of, you know, um, accepted modern science. And we have a solution here and we need to study it and we need to bring it forth to the world. So, you know, again, this was a comparative study of 
all viable solutions for hepatitis C at that time in Egypt. Yes. Well, you know, when we're talking about the centering quality and the oneness, one of the beautiful things coming out of black hole research from people like Nassim Harriman and uh, the book I mentioned, Punk Science, which is really an expose of what uh, the author calls the black hole principle based on years and years of her research. And the book's highly well uh, referenced and documented. But what they find is at the center of every black hole, and they've currently research shows that not only are there black holes in every atom at the center of the atom, but even in subatomic particles, they're finding evidence of black hole activity. And the black holes go all the way up in scale. There's good research showing now that the Earth is got a black hole in its center. The sun does. Every single sun out there has a black hole in it. Every galaxy has got a black hole in its center. But what they find is in the center of every black hole is infinite light, light that is moving at infinite speed, which interestingly, people like Walter Russell and other mystics have spoken of as the clear light that is the undifferentiated light of God and not the white light that we see looking out the window, but the infinite light that basically moves at the speed of now and connects everyone to everything. So I think when we understand that that light is paradoxically so subtle that you can't pick it up with an instrument because no instrument can measure infinity, it would just turn out to be a zero or a flat line on an oscilloscope. But that is the energy that produces non-local effects when they separate photons at massive distances and they instantly respond to each other. That's the energy of ESP and clairvoyance and intuitive knowing. That is the mind of the universe that gives you intuitive answers. So I think that if people just realize that looking for the oneness isn't something that you have to go find outside of you. It's something that exists in every atom of your body. And Nassim Harriman says of our, you know, different scientists say different things, but it ranges from a fit from 50 to a hundred trillion cells in the body. But Nassim Harriman's research shows that each atom is made of 100 trillion. I mean, each cell is made of 100 trillion atoms. And so when you think that one cell has a hundred trillion black holes in it, all of which are connected to the infinite light, then it's really not a question of, you know, going on a long journey trying to find God. It's really a question of back to the sacred ritual and becoming awakened to what exists within us already. And then I wanted to share a couple of concepts on subtle energy that I thought might help people. Um, one, we all know what love is, but love is not measurable. You can't, there's no instrument out there that can measure what we call love, which I describe as the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection to self or other, or love is consciousness, consciousness becoming aware of itself. And we all learn through our spiritual awakening that coming into our heart or making 
contact with our soul, which is really the synonymous with the higher self, then we go from the ego's compass to the heart's compass, and we have an intuitive sense, an inner sense, a visceral, a gut sense of when we should or shouldn't engage a certain business deal or make a certain purchase or get married to somebody or or we should get married or not get married or uh, which foods we should eat or not eat for our own well-being, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a, a very, you know, common expression of subtle energy. But one of the neat descriptions given by Arnold Mendel in a, one or more of his books, I've read so many at this point, I can't remember which one, but he talks about how essentially each of us has what he calls a pilot wave, which is really, I believe, coming from the heart. And it's this invisible wave that reaches out and feels and connects to everything in and around us. And depending on our state of consciousness and how we track that pilot wave reaches the level of infinity. And so if we just think of the fact that we've got, like my kids, my kids have radio controlled dumpsters and, and uh, monster trucks and, and, uh, you know, racing cars, but you don't see that radio wave, but it actually controls the entire vehicle. So when we think of things like radar and remote controlled vehicles, the reality of it is you can have a military drone that weighs thousands of pounds being guided by a simple little wave that isn't even perceptible to the senses, but ultimately determines whether that drone does things for good or evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the big thing with, um, you know, like you said, you can't see love, but the effects of love are measurable. And the effects of subtle energy are measurable if you're measuring the body. And so that goes back where we say, what is subtle energy? It's the ability to produce an effect, you know, and this is, and this is why I'm saying it's measurable in the sense of, like you said, when they hook up people and things like ESP, but when they have two people hooked up and they meditate on each other, you can measure the effect in the brainwave changes. But, and, you know, going also further into one of the things that you mentioned is, um, kind of this, this connectedness and, and the black holes everywhere. So there's two things there that come to mind in, in biogeometry. I mean, one of the things that we talk about is um, what we call our energy key. An energy key basically talks about how every line of movement, we get, you know, um, a clockwise, a, every straight line of movement, you get four energy qualities. So you get to the direction of movement, where the energy came from, and then you get your clockwise motion and you get your counterclockwise motion. So three-dimensionally that looks like an apple or a donut and then the center of that is where you get your wormhole and so a lot of people now are speaking about that torus shape and that center of that torus shape a lot of people refer to that that middle point um as being you know that that still point or i even hear the, the term zero point a lot just most of the time what researchers are doing is they're looking at it as the lowest point of electromagnetism so they're still looking at a window from the physical, they're looking at it from an electromagnetic window, 
but we're looking at it as that zero point becomes a window from the physical to the highest dimension. But that energy key movement that we speak about occurs with every single movement of energy, whether that movement of energy is occurring on the physical level as an actual movement in the way that we think of movement, or as a emotional or mental awareness on those levels would be creating their own sets of energy key, their own sets of toroidal shapes that are connected to the whole. And this concept of connection becomes one of the most practical ways that we've been able to show it in biogeometry is we actually have this tool and it's called the material balancing wheel. And what we actually do is we'll take um, paint from a little tiny piece of paint from the wall and then um, if that paint is, you know, not, not a natural type of paint or emitting a lot of VLCs or something, we can show that that paint is actually damaging or weakening to the body. And then we will take a small sample and change the energy quality of that sample. We have what's called a wheel with all of these different angle emanations, and we just need to find the right quality that it needs. And then we can pick up the whole change, the change in the whole wall. And we can pick up that now the quality and the way that that wall affects you, so it's no longer harmful if it's emitting VOCs, we can pick up a huge difference. But we actually use that as a model for explaining what we are as human beings, the universe. I think that's very, very important because those kinds of concepts are rarely expressed. They are expressed in various systems and schools of shamanism, but that's still just a tiny uh, fraction of the population that's gaining that awareness. Um, and I, I really love what you just shared. It's beautiful. You know, Bioptimizers makes an amazing product called P3OM, which is a prebiotic product. And it's amazing for uh, not only helping uh, repopulate the gut with uh, friendly bacteria, but as Wade will tell you, it's really, really an amazing uh, product in case you ever feel like you're getting any kind of food poisoning or illness coming on. And Wade's right here with me, and he's the co-founder by Optimizers, and he knows more about P3OM than anybody. But I can tell you this, I've had nothing but excellent results and nothing but positive feedback from all my clients and friends that I've turned it on, turned on to P3OM. So Wade, tell us a little bit about P3OM and, and why it works so well. Well, P3OM is, we call it the Navy SEAL of probiotics. Amen. Bas basically, its job is to kick out the bad guys in your body. Uh, food poisoning is one of those things from bad bacteria. What we've done is we've taken a, an aggressive strain of L. plantarum. We put it into toxic soup, ran a sine wave, to keep a few of them alive. And the few survivors we grow in very specialized medium to make a cultured patented enzyme that has extraordinary powers. Uh, number one, it survives the intestinal tract. Yes. And number two, it is absolutely hunts down uh, pathogens in, this, in the body, bacteria, viruses, these type of things. And this is really where the future of probiotics is. It is about developing and culturing and creating super strains of probiotic, very much like the Navy SEALs go through a training and these yes. individuals mm -hmm. have extraordinary powers to deal with chaos. And in today's world where we want to improve our immunity and our function and our gut health, P3M is head and shoulders above any probiotic out there. So my understanding is it can be used daily as a supplement, but it can also be used in larger quantities as a defense measure. We've 
tested this uh, literally with over a hundred of our friends who have been suffering from various times of food poisoning. And a handful of those guys, when you're in food poisoning and within 20 to 30 minutes, you complete recovery. That's awesome. And I've, I've uh, seen it happen myself. Angie has felt bad a number of times and uh, several of people in the, in the house or family have. And I say, take 10. If that doesn't feel good in an hour, take 20. And you've told me you can't overdose on them, which is amazing. Yeah, that's the beauty of Pethorum. You can't take too much. They'll fight off the bad guys and uh, they'll get your digestion rocking and rolling the way it should. So if you want to have a healthy gut and you want some defense, carry P3OM with you wherever you go, airplanes, cars, business meetings, hotels, conferences, and you've got your Navy SEALs in the bottle and they're ready for you anytime. Wade, how do we, we get a hold of your amazing P3OM product? Super easy. Just go to www.bioptimizers.com slash living4d and put in Paul10 for your 10% discount code. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash living4d and Paul10 for your discount code. You got it. There you go. Try it. You'll love it. I use them. I can't tell you enough how much I love this product. I think it's a genius product. And you've heard it right from the master himself. Get your P3OM. Let us know how you feel about it. Lots of love. You know, we're using these two words quite a bit. You you did define energy very briefly there. But for the audience, could you please give a biogeometry definition of what energy actually is and what information is? Um. So for us, when we talk about energy, the definition that we refer to is the ability to produce an effect. So with that definition, we automatically can encompass things like emotional and mental energy. And we talked about subtle energy, but subtle energy specifically is the effect from that primordial level producing the multidimensional levels of creation. And so if we want to now talk about the information, we can see the subconscious um, or, or basically consciousness expressing itself through awareness on the emotional level, on the mental level, on the vital level. And consciousness's expression of awareness is what we refer to as information. Ah, okay. Now, uh, another way to look at information for you listening is any pattern that creates meaning. So for example, if you put a dot on a page and just pass it around the room and say, what does this mean to most people? They, will, they won't really have much of an idea. They'll say, well, there's a dot on the page. But the dot or the point is the beginning of shape. If you draw a five-pointed uh, star and say, what does this mean to you? A lot of them who have studied People like Leonardo da Vinci might say, well, it's a symbol for the human body, or it represents the five elements of uh, Chinese medicine. But the point is, there's now a recognizable shape that makes meaning for us. So that's one way uh, to perceive information. Doria, what do you feel the biggest challenges are that we face in the world today if we want to stop the cycle of escalating physical, emotional, and mental disease rates, as well as bring harmony back 
to nature before we trigger a potential series of catastrophic events? I mean, obviously, from a biometry perspective, one of the things we talk about so much is the increasing amount of electromagnetic radiation in the atmosphere. And one of the, you know, it's, it's, there's two aspects to this. One is that we actually took something that was naturally part of enhancing our life force and we changed it so that now it is actually depleting to our life force. And, you know, you can see this in so many different things, even nutrition today. And so, you know, something that was life-giving is now promoting global warming, dehydration, or bringing down our immunity. And so one other aspect too is, is the effect that also that we've seen electromagnetic radiation having on the emotional and mental levels. So part of our work in Hamburg and Hitchburg, there was a psychic evaluation because the residents themselves asked for it. You know, they noticed the tension and the stress and the anxiety from increasing the amount of electromagnetic radiation. Now, we do see, you know, a, a hurdle. There's, there's two parts as well when we talk about what we want for subtle energy to develop as a whole. You know, one of the things now is that there's a lot of people that are realizing that the current paradigm is, has things that we need to fix. And the problem is now that through this vulnerability, we're seeing the man mainstream paradigm building up a, a protective wall against itself rather than being open to change. And so this is going back to what we spoke about, is that are we going to have a new paradigm for universal truth or is it going to be... Um, so I, I Capitalistic. Guess I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good word for it in the sense that how can we move this, this, this mainstream system is, is seeing its vulnerability, it's putting up walls, and so we need to actually move to a different universal paradigm that as soon as we start moving towards it, it will get its own support from higher dimensions. It needs people to put pressure behind this new paradigm. And the reason I'm saying this a lot is because we, you know, I, I see a lot of people who practice in this field, but one of the things that, that they fail to notice sometimes is that a lot of this field, we're growing this field as a reaction to the mistakes of the modern, um, as a reaction to some of the things that the modern mainstream system is not meeting or is not giving us. But because we're growing it as a reaction, sometimes we find the same vulnerabilities or the same um, mistakes, even within the field of subtle energy, even within this holistic field. So we need to move beyond beyond the current paradigm that we're in and start putting you know, what is this new paradigm? What are the standards that we expect for this new paradigm? Yes, indeed. And, you know, you talked about how we've, we've got to move into this transformation and, and really engage it and participate it, not as a, a fear reaction or a knee-jerk reflex. And we all know, and physiology studies show very well, that uh, when you're under stress, your left brain is dominant and there's almost no receptivity to new ideas because the more stressed we are, the more we go back to habituated or conditioned behaviors, all of which are the very behaviors that got us in trouble in the first place. But Walter Russell in his one-year study program, which if you're interested in, you can look at the website www.dowsers.com, D-O-W-S-E-R-S.com, which is run by Joey Korn, 
Um, and he has all of Walter Russell's teachings available there. And the one-year study course is absolutely beautiful. But Walter Russell says in there, he talks about how the universe works in relationship to us and our creation of our dreams, goals, or objectives. And he says, you know, the universal operates on a love principle that's based on a one-to-one ratio. He says, for every step you take towards your dream, goal, or objective, the universe moves at one step toward you. So we're in an equal co-creative partnership with the universe or the intelligence of the higher dimensions, but they're not going to come down here. The intelligences aren't going to come down here and wipe bottoms and clean bedrooms and clean up messes that we've made out of our own ignorance because that stops the learning and growth at all levels. But if we all get clear on what it is that we need together and what we're willing to sacrifice as far as letting go of of things that aren't really helpful any longer, each day that we make one step in the right direction, the universe manifests that for us into the same degree of commitment. And I think that you know, it's very, very important for us to not act like children and just wait for some somebody else to fix the problems or the president or the scientists. It's It's got to happen at the ground level. I mean, one of the things, since you brought up dowsing, one of the things, of, we, we use a form of a redesthesia in biogeometry. It's, it's different from dowsing where you get information from the subconscious. We focus on um, specific... Uh, basically calibrating to specific energy qualities. But the main thing I was going to say, and it applies to both, one thing you learn as a redesthesist, and you probably get it through meditation as well, but as a redesthesist, one of the things that is so important to actually be able to practice is that you need to be aware of your awareness and your focus, which we've come to see that most people aren't. When we talk about resonance, and entering to resonance and measuring specific vibrational energy qualities, we have to train people so that they're only focused on one thing on all levels. You have to train to focus your resonance on physical, vital, emotional, mental, and spiritual levels on one thing so that you can actually measure it. And this is a skill that I, you know, outside of the biogeometry classes that we teach is probably what I think benefits students the most, because as soon as you become aware of those levels, you have the ability to move them and to actually, so go anywhere you want. If you're in a stressful situation on the physical level, you can move your body on the emotional and mental level because you actually have learned to cultivate the resonance with those levels very clearly, a clear communication path. Yes. You know, there's an ancient saying, uh, I don't know where it came from, but it's extremely truthful and it's very in line with alchemists and mystics, but it says something quite profound and true with regard to what you're sharing. It says, you bring forth that which you gaze upon. In other words, wherever a person puts their attention and their intention, that's what you bring forth. And that includes doing it unconsciously. So if you focus on the negative or what's wrong with everybody or everything, then that's what you're gazing upon and that's what you bring forth. But one of the things I'd like to share from my own teachings real quick, Doria, because I think it's really important, 
most people don't really know what the spiritual meaning of the word intention is. If God is pure potential or unconditional love or the infinite source of the undivided light, then the answer to every prayer is yes. So because that is undifferentiated and all at the same time, there is no choice or distinction being made at that level until we engage it. And when we have an intention, we take that which is infinite and put it into tension and create a dialectic. And that produces the flow of energy and information in line with our intention, whether that be to do good or evil. The answer is always yes. So therefore, we learn that we must take responsibility for what we create, which is all based on our intentions. And as um, Arnold Patton says in his Universal Principles, if you don't like what's happening in your life, look carefully at what you're creating unconsciously. And that's why healing is so important. That's why shadow work is so important. And that's why depth psychology is so important. And that's why shamanism is so important. And that's why the authentic teachings of religion are so important, because they're really ultimately all teaching us to be aware and be conscious of how we use the power of intention. Yeah, and it also sheds light on, you know, when we look at ancient Egypt and we look at temple sciences and why there was certain information that was not available to the masses or was guarded and behind it is what we call the principle of the responsibility of the senses, which you just spoke about. And the principle of the responsibility of the senses is that when you gaze upon something, as you were just saying, you're choosing to enter into resonance with it. And everything that you interact with, you are responsible for the evolution of every single thing that you interact with and that interacts with you. And so one of the principles also that we always explain when it comes to resonance is, is we say the terms um, an energy moving beyond cause and effects. So we say with the responsibility of the senses, by hearing me, you're changing me. A lot of people like to think of things as cause and effect. I'm speaking, somebody's listening, I'm changing them. But them giving you your attention is, it, resonance is always a two-way street and it's two energy systems evolving together and they will always be changed from that moment on from each person's um, energy makeup. Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, in Jungian psychology, they speak of the transcendent function or the third. Biblically, biblically, Jesus is quoted as saying, whenever two or more get together in my name, I will be there. But really what you're speaking about in a Jungian psychological perspective is the fact that whenever we are together with another person, the consciousness contained within our subtle energy field, which is really carrying the information guiding the physical inert matter of our bodies, overlaps with the others. And out of that comes the product of the two, which carries the wisdom of both of us, the creativity of both of us. And by working in harmony and with the intention to support each other and heal and grow together, we access the third, the transcendent third that we normally don't have unless we open our hearts to the other, even when they're being challenging, which is where the real spiritual growth work is. 
but that third is such a powerful gift. And then each time you add another person, the level of and magnitude of the wisdom, intelligence, and creativity gets that much greater. So imagine if we could get past our individual differences, our religious differences, our racial differences, and the lines driven drawn on maps, the power of the so-called third that would happen when we all realize that we are each other, that we need each other, and that we have all the same needs in common, and that we must protect the earth and feed the children well and educate each other well and celebrate and dance and sing and tell better stories and enjoy the magic and the mystery of life and take time to enjoy being alone with ourselves because that way we grow clarity and we grow wisdom and we grow the capacity for authentic love. And I think that's really how we use the magic of the concept of the third to gain the guiding force that we each carry within us as a gift. I love Symbiotica's products. As you all know, I share them as often as I can because they work and they're made of the best quality resources you can get. And Symbiotica has just come out with a new liposomal activated charcoal that has many amazing benefits. Sherveen, let us know what is the power, the potency, and the use of liposomal activated charcoal. Paul, this was an exciting one for us because, as you know, we're from the islands of Hawaii, and charcoal is really big over there in terms of detoxification. We make ours using coconuts. And this product's the first time it's ever been in a liposomal form meaning it's protected to make it all the way down into the gastrointestinal area. And then it's really starts taking on its action. Anyone that's got anything dealing with candida overgrowth, exposures to mold, radiation, pesticides, pharmaceutical residues, an overly acidic body, this is a very quick, easy way to provide a rapid solution to any of those issues. If you're dealing with bloating, anything like that, the way charcoal works, it's not an absorber that most people think. It's an adsorber. It's an electrical charge. So it pulls in anything that does not belong in the body into the charcoal and then evacuates and eliminates out. This is one of our top sellers. The reviews on it are incredible. I can't wait for anyone who hasn't used it to try it and just let us know their feedback. Exciting. So if you want to get your liposomal activated charcoal, go to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. That's symbiotica.com. And on checkout, use the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15 to get your 15% discount. And while you're there, check out all the amazing Symbiotica products because your discount applies across the board. Enjoy. Yeah, I mean, one of the things... Um that's important to remember and part of the reason we feel so separated is that we all do have a shared goal it's just dependent on how much of what is being expressed in your daily life is that left brain ego we're speaking about or that universal mind speaking through yourself so the goal that we say we're trying to reach is that we want man to be a spokesman of the earth and in so many different traditions, they talk about the importance of when we realize the divinity of the self, the importance of understanding the journey to go back to the highest level and that being the goal. And that's why we find the rituals with sacred power spots. It's in order for us 
to be able to manifest those universal laws of nature. And if we're able to close down that left brain perception for a while and bringing that universal wisdom, we will realize that we all do have the same goal. Yes. You know, in his book, Stalking the Wild Pendulum, Itzhak Bentov describes what a diva is. And he shows that there's a diva in every material object from a cup to a stone, to a house, to a car, to a pencil. And really, that might be confusing to people that are kind of caught in a materialist mindset. But the reality of it is everything's made of atoms. And within the center of an atom is a black hole, which contains the centering light or the infinite light of the divine consciousness, which is the creative source that facilitates and allows the manifestation of all things in material form. But in shamanism, it's well documented that whenever we interact with an object, such as a pair of rattles or a drum or a sacred healing object or a stone, that we actually infuse our own consciousness into it through interacting with it, which has the effect of waking it up. And Jung said that anytime you engage an object, that it picks up your psychic energy and reaches the point where it actually can communicate to you because you've enlivened it to the level that it is awake. And so now can have a working relationship. And for example, people that work with crystals and healing like I do, treat them not as objects, but as living objects, not as tools, but as um, teachers, guides, and companions used with the intention of bringing harmony to the individual or to the world or even to the space because crystals can have such a profound effect on space as can plants as can the way we organize our room but it's one of the points i'm driving at here is it's it's really important to remember that matter is spirit moving slowly enough that we can interact with it matter is God in physical form so that we can actually have a relationship with this thing we call existence or the universe, but really it is the embodiment of that which is the subtle wisdom and intelligence of love behind it all. So if we look at the earth and we look at objects and things, not just as junk or material or something that doesn't matter, burn it, trash it, throw it in the dump but as an expression of the embodiment of the divine itself and as beings that are being held in the shape. I tell my students, imagine if you're, if the bricks that make the foundation of your house had enough consciousness to say, screw it, I'm tired of holding up all this weight. I'm out of here. And they just turn themselves into water and soaked into the ground to hang out with the plants. So each object in the material world is serving a unique function. And that function is very specific. If we didn't have rocks, we wouldn't have the crust of the earth and we wouldn't have soil and we wouldn't have life. So what I'm driving at is that when we move more towards a polytheistic understanding or an animistic understanding of life, love, and higher consciousness, we can come to realize which really ties into biogeometry as a science of shape, that everything is actually sharing the experience of existence with us, and that by interacting with it 
and infusing it with our own love and consciousness, we actually help it become more conscious and interestingly help it evolve just as many experts who have a spiritual orientation towards animals say that through interaction with human beings, cats and dogs, for example, become aware of what it is to be human and will reincarnate next in a human form because they've now come to realize the freedoms that you get being a human relative to being a dog or a cat. How does that fit with your biogeometry perspective? I mean, I think part of what you just touched upon is what we call the forming process in nature. And one of the things that biogeometry being a being a design language and so we talk about the forming process in nature and the forming process of shapes and so every single shape that we look at has that you know we call it the energy of a sacred power spot we refer to it specifically as bg3 sometimes you might hear me saying a centering quality but at the end of the day we're talking about that multi-dimensional vortex where we see this information coming down from that primordial level down to the physical it exists at the center of every single shape. And as soon as we see that and we're able to measure it, which we are, then like you said, everything becomes alive. But the trick now here, or the, the purpose of biogeometry, is when we find the center exists within everything. And this kind of goes back to when you're saying the answer to every prayer is yes. When <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so when we find that the center exists when, within everything, then the next step is to go back and see where does the center exist within us? And then how do I interact with everything around me, not through physical or emotional or vital levels? How do I interact with the center in whatever object or the center in whatever person through the center in me? And when we're able to do that, when we can build that interaction, then what we actually find is that every single interaction comes from a higher place and is balancing to our own energy system. So when we when we teach people to design in biogeometry, we tell them, even if you're not designers, design. Because as soon as you start playing with shape and forming shapes, and amplifying the centering quality so that your whole shape becomes a center, that process is actually changing you as the designer because you're detecting it through you. And it becomes an own ritual to move your subtle energy system. It becomes one of the easiest way to grow your subtle energy system and become in tune with the centers that exist in everything. And from a biometry perspective, it's it's easy to see that everything is alive because even when we study things like shaping the body and the effects of shaping the body, we do it using, using wooden mannequins. We do it. We can put hands in specific. Um, we take wooden hand mannequins and we put them in specific positions and suddenly we're measuring life force energy off of them. And so we see now that everything is alive. And that's one of the reasons that sculptors study so much, so that when they're producing sculptures of human beings or animals, that the shape is so authentic. As you know, you see, you see somebody like uh, Michelangelo's sculptures, and it's freaky. It's like, oh my God, you, you actually think there's a human being right there. 
Yeah, and and you know, going back as well into studying sculptures, when we go back, we look at in many different types of um, ancient civilizations, there's specific proportions being used in design in human sculptures, and we study as to why these proportions. You know, why um, when we we talk about that archetypal template. But what these proportions are chosen for is that we find when you sculpt or you build within these proportions, suddenly you get a living statue. That statue becomes a window to that highest mental uh, dimension upon which we're built. That dimension right where you go from the unpolarized to the polarized um, pattern upon which we are built and upon which we are trying to always be in resonance with. Or achieving perfect balance. Yes, you know, one of the practices that I do as, as a spiritual practice, as a form of creative expression, and as a form of really solid exercise like you've never seen is I create rock sculptures or rock stacks. Sometimes I make beautiful patterns on the ground like the flower of life, or I make a labyrinth. But one of the things that you learn working with stones is that, A, they have an intelligence. I call them the stone Buddhas. But when you're going to make a, a rock sculpture that's like, you know, 12, 13, 14, I've built them as high as probably 17 feet tall. You really have to connect deeply, not only with your own center, but with the centering energy of the rock and let it guide you if you let your ego get involved or you try to do it through observation alone uh like a carpenter might it won't work very well because there's way too many angular shifts and uh the rocks are not evenly made so what the rock could be square but the left half of the rock could be twice as heavy as the right so if you if you center it on the block stone below by shape alone you can actually put so much rotational torque the stack will fall over into the kind of standard carpenter's eye it doesn't make sense but to the person that connects deeply and feels and lets the wisdom of the stones guide you actually feel the still point emerge at exactly the point where the rock should sit and the stack can be so stable you can lean on it. I've actually climbed on many of them and carried stones up to the top and friends watch me do it and they go, Oh my God, you are absolutely nuts. But I've spent so much time working with stones. I know when they tell me it's safe to climb and I can feel how stable the structure is. So I don't climb on something unless I'm so intimately connected with it that I feel safe. And so I'm sort of using this expression and this sharing to open a little doorway, we've talked about a fair bit, but I'd like to hear your words on how biogeometry can help us as individuals, families. We, we could go in, we've talked a lot about the societal and cultural level already, but for example, when I experienced your home kit and the cube and the effects it had on the environment, on the water and on me on the inside, one of my first insights is, this is probably one of the most amazing tools to support Tai Chi, Qigong, meditation of all types, creative processes, deep thinking. Um, I mean, I could sit here and list a long, long list of ways that the centering energy produced by the cube and the home kit could 
help us. And when we think of a, a culture or the world population, it's made of individuals. So each one of us human beings is like a cell in an organism. And as soon as one health cell gets healthier, it's not only radiating out its energy through its aura and through its invisible connections to the whole, but we're actually influencing other each other by exemplifying wholeness. And so one happy, healthy cell inspires the next one and the next one and the next one. So what are some of the ways that the average individual could benefit from biogeometry and which tools would you suggest for each of the things that you're going to share? I mean, I, I think you touched upon the most important thing to remember with the communication is that we're a sample of the whole. And this is one of the, the laws that has proved very efficient in our work that even the smallest sample or witness carries the total information of the whole original source. And so this goes back to the wheel, the material wheel we spoke about and how we actually use this practically. And we remind people that by changing their individual solar energy quality, it's one of the most efficient ways to affect the paradigm change. So for us, one of the, the way that we've been talking about doing this is by introducing this change to a higher connection and allowing us to bring harmony into our activities and achieving excellence of action. And we find this at the core of, of all development, de developmental teachings and doctrines and spiritual doctrines. So really it comes down to how we say is how do you fine tune your individual note within the overall symphony? And what you just mentioned with the cube and the energy quality shift it creates in the body is one way we are trying to do this through by geometry products. How do we actually create a space that becomes a sacred or centering space for all of the activities that you do? And so this was really the home kit for us um, was designed because after we started to work in, in Switzerland and these regions reported a lot of um, beneficial health effects and psychic and emotional effects, people started to say, how can we bring this home? And this is where we brought up the Biogeometry Home Kit, which is a cube that has within it a lot of different shapes. And they're just um, kind of lasered in, but much smaller. And when you place them in your space, they resonate all throughout. And then we also have, I mean, we all, when we look at biogeometry products, we look at products for the individual and we look at products for the environment. So the environment is that home kit for the individual. We actually have a pendant um, which has biosignatures on it. And what biosignatures are is they're a study of the energy patterns or energy flows that we find naturally existing in the body. But then for all of those energy flows and shapes that we find moving through the body, you can think of it similar to how we find the meridian lines moving along the shape of the body. But we take those energy flows and energy patterns and we look at how we can use them to bring in that centering quality into the existing energy flows we have in our system. And this helps center the whole subtle energy system. So this is two parts. So we have the pendant and then we have the home kit. Now, two special products I'll mention um, are with the pendant, we have a, a um, one shape that we call the L90 shape. And that's probably 
one of the most effective shapes. It looks like a 90 degree angle with a little quarter circle, but it actually produces it's this centering quality very strongly on emotional and mental levels. Where we spoke about you get effects from electromagnetic radiation, where if you're, op- if you're doing activities to open up your energy system and you find yourself sensitive, this is a really, really good shape. And then the other things is we, is we actually do have biogeometry pendulums that are designed using the design principles. So they're actually emitting that sacred energy quality. And so emitting what we say BG3 from their tip. So one of those called the BG16 pendulum is made up of 16 discs and emits the energy quality of a sacred power spot, which is an excellent tool if, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are do different types of activities where they're connecting to their energy system. If you just take this pendulum and point it to a weak chakra, it will begin to charge it and open it up. So that's interesting for people that already do some of this work. And then one of the one other thing that probably is good to mention is we have a product called the charging tray. And that's a tray, it's in it's in a specific angle that reproduce um, the quality of the square root of two. So the square root of two is that irrational number which which produces this doorway that we're looking for, vortex. And whatever you place on the tray you actually begin to charge with this energy quality. So you can use it for food, you can use it for water. It's a bit small for food, but you can use it for water, for supplements. I use it all the time. I love it. I put my, I, every morning I, I do a uh, supplement from um, Bioptimizers called Leaky Gut Guardian. And my soul guided me. I have a beautiful lime tree right out the guest patio in my office here. And I get, limes off the tree and i charge two of them up on the uh charging plate and um then i mix the leaky gut guardian uh bacteria and the 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 powder that it comes in into the limes after they've been charged and then i add my beautiful water from palomar mountain that's also being charged up by your cube soon to be charged in my new huge water charge that will also be a sound chamber but it's just amazing like i drink that and i feel like i'm drinking something that's adding life the best analogy i could give is like i'm plugging into some kind of electrical source that's invigorating my body so i keep things like my oregano oil on it and key uh, flower essences or essential oils that i use anything that i want to charge if i'm doing any kind of plant uh, medicine ceremony i'll charge the medicines up on it um, and it's such a simple and easy tool to use i really absolutely love it and can't recommend it enough yeah i mean one of the things also with water we worked with dr emoto and dr emoto he made famous the concept that our emotional and mental state and our intentions affect water by photo- photographing water crystals, you know, based on intentions that we were projecting. When we worked with him, it was actually to see, well, we're, we're actually, you know, we say the terms, we are the environment. So what happens to water when we put the cube in the space and we begin to balance emotional and mental, environmental energy qualities? And you can see, I mean, in, um, in the book, Back to a Future for Mankind by my father, you can see these beautiful water crystals created by having the cube in the space. I had a question for you. 
<laughs> this is a little left field. I was going to say um, the giggle. I think the giggling should worry me. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I've done a lot of work as a shaman uh, over the years, and I've had many of these issues in holistic lifestyle coach level two classes where I'm doing a healing and all of a sudden an entity emerges from a person. And there's been times where they were, there's three of them going off at once and scaring the living hell out of people. I've had many people come to me with chronic health problems. Nobody could figure out. And and I had to do entity extractions. I'm wondering if the L90 is capable of protecting people against uh, negative entities uh, thought forms or other dimensional entities that tend to inhabit people that are not um, physically, emotionally, mentally vital and whole. Do you think that it works? Because you've mentioned how biogeometry is multidimensional. Do you think the L90 can get, add any Definitely. support? No, we know it works for this. You don't have to worry about entities if you're wearing the L90. You're just getting so much BG3 on the emotional level and Obviously, we've seen people who have um, who have entities, and and just even bringing the L ninety into the room causes issues. You know, <laughs> I I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> they'll get this this initial reaction, or say we've even had I you know one of the things we've always told people, you know, we're we're the, we're, we're not going to tell you you know you have to wear this, you have to do that, but we always tell students if you're wearing the L ninety pendant and you go to a specific class or you go to anywhere and they ask you to remove the pendant, get out of there. And it has happened where we've had students where there's been types of classes where there's certain types of channeling that are happening, which are, um, so sometimes, you know, dark. It's, it's, dark is a good word. And so the student has walked in and you can't even see the L90 and the teacher goes, I'm sorry, you're wearing something that's offending me. And as well, even if they could see it, you know, by geometry doesn't, none of the symbols or the shapes that we have in by geometry come from any specific, you know, doctrine or belief system. They're purely, they're purely measured and, and, and have BG3. And so we've seen teachers just tell them, you know, the shape you're wearing is offending me without it even showing. You need to remove this if you, if you want to stay in the class or the L90 even completely blocking the teacher's ability to channel information. Which means they're offended by harmony, and that should be a very big warning sign. Exactly. And, um, you know, it's, it's the L90 as well, what we always say. It's, it's, it helps. Sometimes people who have certain abilities, when they wear the L90, they'll find those dampening. Some people will find them amplifying. And it actually helps guide you as to whether this information is or your practices are amplifying your energy system on the emotional level or weakening it on the emotional level. Just uh, a little announcement. I have a podcast coming up. I'm recording later this week with Kedrich Olson, who some of you might have heard my previous podcast with him, which was absolutely excellent. He's the expert on the Norse culture, the Vikings, runes. And he is an expert at entity extraction and working with entities. So we're doing an entire podcast on that, which I'm titling, Are You Possessed? Question mark, question mark. Because uh, there is a lot of that going on. I, I have another question for you in this regard. That We have a lot of problems today with multiple personality disorder and schizophrenia 
and uh, a variety of those types of psychological disturbances or disequilibrium, uh, how does the L90 affect people like that? I mean, there's two different aspects of it. So a lot of times, first of all, when we look at it from a biometry perspective, you know, is when you have the L90, it brings in what we say EG3 on that. It brings centering very specifically on the emotional level. Now, one of the things when we're talking about entities, the thing with entities is it's not just an invading energy quality or a, um, or a disturbance of an energy quality in the body. You actually measure weakening or missing energy qualities that you should have in your energy system. With things like multiple personality, if it's not an invading energy quality, then a lot of times when we look at set, it's also, you know, the word that a lot of people use when they, when we have biogeometry in research is this term of homeostasis. So when we look at the different aspects of the emotional system and how it's acting itself out, then through the centering quality, you will begin to have, let's say, guide the acting out of the emotional system to go back into that centering path. And to actually move in a beneficial way towards the person who's expressing, whether it's multiple personality or any type of other issues. I mean, you mentioned Jungian psychology with a big part of it where we know that in Jungian psychology, it's, it's actually with every archetype, you have the opposite. And it's not that you're trying to access one archetype over the other, but you're trying to access the good if you're if you're expressing the bad side of that archetype you're actually trying to you're not moving away or suppressing that archetype you're trying to express the positive aspect or the other side of that archetype and the l90 will help you do that yeah that's very important i think it's also important for any of you doing group ceremonies where there's things like seances ayahuasca ceremonies uh plant medicine ceremonies it's very important to realize that unless you're quite skilled through spiritual practice at regulating your own chakras, all psychedelic medicines open the chakra system, which is why you're exposed to so much information and can see, feel, hear, and perceive much, much more on those medicines. But one of the things that has happened, and I can see clairvoyantly what's happening, is that people not knowing this go to these ceremonies where all sorts of people are carrying entities and entities love to trade up, just like we all want a better house or a better car. They want a better body that they can more fully get their needs met in. So if you're not protected and don't know how to protect yourself, which I will talk about with Kedrich Olson, but even with the protective measures that come from shamanism and other traditions, I would always recommend getting the L90 based on Doria's recommendation, because if you go into a ceremony like that, even with the plant medicines, as she said, you're going to be getting filled with the, C, uh, the BG3 centering energy, which will have a beautiful protective effect on you. And probably because your aura is going to overlap with the group, particularly if there's a lot of harmony in the group, Dory, wouldn't it be true that you might actually be protecting other people by wearing the L90? No, definitely. And that's, that's the example that we gave with that one student who walked into the class and it even affected the teacher and it affected everybody there. and especially for people who do things like hold a space or even just interacting with daily people. And a lot of times as well, just wearing the L90, a lot of, if you experience anxiety and you know, it's from that information exchange on the emotional level, 
the L90 will do the trick for you in, in two minutes. Yes, actually in my podcast with Angie Check, my wife, who is a highly skilled shaman, she talks about going to a workshop where uh, a woman who is leading the workshop's energy was, well, bordering on the dark side and how she really didn't like Angie's presence in the room. And Angie, uh, anyhow, it's it's an interesting story. So if you listen to the podcast with Angie, which is quite popular, you can hear about that. I think these are fantastic. You see, what I'm really trying to do, Doria, as you can see, is I'm trying to take this concept of biogeometry from this sort of elusive, you know, new word, new concept, and ground it in a level of understanding and awareness through what energy is, what shape is, and what the tools are, how they work. And, you know, the biogeometry L90 is by itself it's not very expensive i I don't imagine it's and it's light you see i have a a a real bad neck injury from years ago so wearing any necklace at all really bothers my neck and i actually had the other pendant with the um, biogeometry signatures on it the the round one and it was heavy enough that it was hurting my neck so i just went to the l90 and found that it didn't bother my neck anymore but I, I, I just really love being able to help people understand that there are very powerful, simple, easy-to-use tools. What does the L90 necklace sell for as a unit? Um, I mean, we, ha- we have a bronze version that I know is off the top of my head. It's, it's definitely less than $30. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And, you know, with the L90, there's, there's important things also to consider as part of our home kit. We actually have L90 stickers that you place on the windows. And this is important because the window serves as what we call as one of the energy keys of the home. And it's one of the ways that we actually help clear the home's emotional and mental energy. And this is an important aspect as well. When we've talked about, you know, when you mentioned as well, Angie going into a workshop. And one of the things that we've seen a lot is when we go to areas where there's been certain types of rituals or release of emotional energy usually people don't know how to to clear that energy once it's been released from the space and we'll walk in and walk in to maybe teach or give a lecture in a space like this and you can feel this heavy energy on the whole space and yes, we have to I, sit I know and it well or we Exactly. And we have to sit and, and you know, we, we clear the space before we work. But if when we do this same work and there's a lot of clearing and working on the emotional level in biogeometry classes, um, if the students are, if most of the majority of the class is wearing the L90 or we have the L90 stickers on the window or our home kit, which actually has a clearing tray so that you're constantly clearing the energy of the cube. You can use that clearing tray with crystals as well. You can use it if you if anybody wears any type of jewelry or glasses or anything, we actually suggest they clear it on the clearing tray. But when we have these things in class, we don't need to put in the extra effort of clearing the space. We find that it stays clear even as we release emotional energy into there. That's beautiful. Yeah, these are very, very important. And also, you know, families can be some of the most tumultuous places to be. And COVID certainly brought that out of people. Um, You know, so I would really recommend that if you're in a a family dynamic that's challenging, uh, not only would the L90 be good for you, but it might be the best gift you could ever give the rest of the family members. It could 
could uh, support a, a significant shift in the dynamics of the family. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story. You know, I just got this message a few weeks back and I, it was somebody who bought the L90 pendant and there was some issues um, between her and a family member. And then they, she hadn't spoken to, I believe it was her mother for a few years. And as soon as she put on the L90, she got a call from her. And, you know, this goes back to what you were saying with the family issues, but even just healing yourself will heal your family. Yes. Yeah. You know, the paradox of it is, this is a little deep, but hopefully people can grab a hold of this concept. And, and I mentioned this in our previous podcast together. One of the definitions of God is that God is a sphere whose center is everywhere and circumference nowhere. And since each of us is only assuredly conscious within ourselves, we have no guarantee that anybody else is having the same experience as we are. We have no guarantee people smell, feel, touch, taste, think, believe, experience anything the way we do. But because the locus of consciousness is within us as an individual, and that's the only locus of experience that we have, it really rests on us to realize that the world that we perceive is the world that we create. And that when we take responsibility for the fact that as the center of the universe, each of us is the center of the universe, because if God is a center whose location is everywhere, we know that we're one of those centers because we're conscious and we can say, I am. And if God's circumference is nowhere, it means that love is a boomerang and whatever we put out into the world has to come back to us because we're the epicenter of its own evolution. We're we are what puts it out. So just like you throw a boomerang and it comes back to you, it's important to realize that to the degree that we heal ourselves, <clears throat> love ourselves, grow ourselves, we change our perceptions. And as we change our beliefs and perceptions, paradoxically, the same world that a year ago looked so terrible looks a lot different. And things like COVID don't become scary anymore. You just see it as another event in the cosmic drama in which you realize that the world needs more love and therefore your life has even more meaning because you become a gift to the circumstance. Yeah, and I think when we look at this, I mean, you just brought up what's been happening in the world and how we should look at it. And one of the things when we looked at, you know, from a biometry perspective, we keep talking about how we can address all of these issues that we're seeing in front of us. How do we address what's going on in the world? And how do we address our perception of what is happening? So we've been talking more and more about, you know, how we feel that the sensory ego is pulling the mind into fulfilling its needs and how this is pushing us away as a society from this right brain ethical harmony and why a lot of times as well we find that it is those who 
people are grasping towards the artistic and spiritual activities or experiences to, to try to have a connection to the right brain. But how do we go? You know, one of the things that we talk about is how do we move beyond? We're talking so much about moving from the left brain to the right brain, being a spokesman of the earth, being connected to that universal mind. Of course, we're all connected to it, but how to actually manifest it in our daily actions or, or move in the same path as it, you know, hand in hand. And a part of it is, like you said, by changing our perception, you know, one of the things that we say is how to escape that sensory ego, how to move you is, or how to move your energy system is to not be trapped in your own judgment. And in every single scenario or before every single action, you know, we try to say before acting, you pause because that action or that thought is usually the one to first respond in our current society is that left brain ego. And so how do we move beyond having that impulse come from there to that impulse coming from the higher and emotional and mental levels that we speak about in biogeometry? And the way to do that is to actually pause before the impulse happens and try to have a 360 judgment move through all of the possible judgments, all of the possible perceptions and actions and thoughts, which in itself opens a window to be able to listen to the heart to be able to act ethically according to the laws of nature. And the heart is the home of we and all. You know, there is no I and we or all. And as we bring our consciousness down into our heart, and great research by HeartMath gives ample evidence of this, as have other scientists in this area, that we actually tap into the flow of consciousness that is the consciousness of the whole. And when we're guided by the whole, we're being guided by our higher self, not the lower ego self of programmed reflex behaviors. This is also why one of the favorite uh, techniques I teach comes from the teachings of Stanley Krippner, who, who was, uh, uh, I believe he was a clinical psychologist, but it was an expert in mythology whose works I've studied. And the technique that he offers is name it, blame it, and tame it. So when we have thoughts and emotions that could be destructive to ourselves or others and are disconnecting us from the whole, we name it such as, oh, there's my angry dragon again. We blame it. When my angry dragon shows up, I tend to behave in ways that cause pain for me and others. We tame it. Ah, hello, angry dragon. Thank you for reminding me where I have a disempowering belief or behavior uh, in my programming. Or thank you, dear pain teacher, for showing me how I often create pain for myself and others. But now that I'm aware that you're here, I don't need you to remind me anymore. You've done your job and you use that awareness of naming, blaming, and taming to bring an unconscious thought pattern or belief or behavior into the consciousness where it can now be identified and worked with. And once you do that, it's now objectified. So it is no longer in the stream of the unconscious. So we begin to engage our shadow aspects and engage the uh, negative traits being channeled into us through our gene line, through our ancestral habits and tendencies and addictions. And by doing that, we heal. And as we heal, we diminish and diffuse and return that energy 
into harmony and that stops others in the gene line from having to heal the same things because any one of us can convert it into harmony and transform it. So having simple, effective spiritual tools coupled with things that facilitate that centering energy like the L90, the home kit, etc., I think really opens the door and anybody that wants to optimize that path and make it easier really can engage biogeometry as well as these simple but powerful spiritual practices. But it's like anything, you, you just have to participate. You know, life is a participation sport. A lot of people, you know, just want to read the book or watch a video program and think, okay, I'm better now, but it's not that simple. Even even uh, healing ceremonies with plant medicines, they don't do the work for you. They just show you the window or the door, but you have to walk through it and become the change. Their job isn't to fix you. Their job is to inform you about your own spiritual growth potentials and how to engage that path. I mean, one of the great things about biogeometry is that it's a practical science. And in that sense, when we approach the subconscious, and we approach it with shapes like the L90, we can actually address the subconscious abstractly. And this is great for the subconscious because the job of the subconscious is to hide information from us. And when we can approach it and find the shapes and the ways to open the door to the subconscious and then emit the L90 into there, then we can actually get a profound shift when we come and we try to deal with our way of looking or thinking about things. And this becomes important for us because even when we look at, we look at our energy system and the evolution of our energy system. And a lot of times we talk about this concept of uh, cracked steps. And we have an exercise called repairing the cracked steps. And what this deals with is we talk about how any emotional or mental imbalance in our energy system is caused by a specific judgment, or if you want to say a reaction. So the, 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 the main thing to take away from this is that nobody can crack a step in your energy system. It has to be you. The way, if we talk about any event in the world, there's different ways to react to it, different judgments. We can't pick one over the other. So there's a specific judgment that has created an imbalance in the energy system. But now when we look at the subtle energy system and we just look at our thoughts and emotions the way we normally do, we're kind of stuck and it's hard to get out of this and figure out how to get out of a thought pattern. But when we begin to look at emotional and mental energy as being able to move backwards and forwards in time, we can both go back. We can go back and repair the judgment that caused this crack step and bring the subtle energy system back into balance. And on top of that, having the shapes to access mental levels and emotional levels and be able to just throw the L90 into there is a profound way to help us shift that emotional and mental energy system and deal with these issues or judgments, so to say. Yes, I think that's beautiful. Doria, uh, biogeometry seems to be a viable solution to the challenges we're addressing here, but I'm concerned about addressing issues at the level of the etiology or cause with regard to the dissonance wreaking havoc on our planet and our lives. Having spent time talking to you and Ibrahim and studying your published works, it's clear to me that biogeometry works multidimensionally. So, Doria, what do you feel we need to do individually and collectively to get to the root causes 
of what biogeometry is dealing with symptomatically, such as, you know, we have all these 5G towers and cell phone towers, which are actually the root causes of a lot of what biogeometry technology is in this regard, trying to turn into a harmonious energy. So there's an example of where not, you know, not every animal and every person and every uh, being can have an L90 or a cube. And even if they did, we still haven't really got to the etiology. So I'm wondering, um, you know, a, a, a component of that is, do you feel that since what's happening on Earth is an expression of the energy and information flowing into our dimension from higher dimensions, that there is a higher purpose to what we are all experiencing and facing through the process of all these challenging? In other words, do you feel that because consciousness is flowing down into the third dimension from higher dimensions and archetypal energies and other energies and even other consciousnesses that are interacting with the earth may be allowing these things to happen so that we can learn and grow from them. I'm just curious what your thoughts are in the regard to what I've just shared so far. I mean, a part of it is on a collective level, we're reaching a collective intellectual level. We're, we're reaching the limit in how we're coping with the environment as being separate from it. And a lot of what's happening in the world today, we can see as our approach, our intellectual approach of separating ourselves from the environment is triggering a higher spiritual balancing effect. Now, it's our job to be able to embrace or react to situations in a way to restore universal harmony so that we can lead to this golden age we've been speaking about. And, you know, a part of it is what we spoke about earlier as well. We spoke about how dynamic tension creates evolution. And this is a part of what we're experiencing now, right? There's, there's different aspects that the world will respond to. So there's a bit of a response to our left brain activities that's ego-based, ego that's very much looking at the me here and now and fulfilling my needs, which, which may not actually be my needs. And then there's a part of us as well where there's that universal right brain mind that is trying to communicate with the left brain, trying to push it to act in a certain way or think in a certain way so that it can open the door for these balancing energy qualities to infuse our, our daily life. And so, you know, a, a big part of what we're saying is in, in your everyday life, be a better person. You know, it's it be a better person in, you know, right now there's things coming up where they're talking about how gratitude can change the way we look and, and the way we, you know, just the study of gratitude and the study of kindness already shows that by living by living and actually forcing ourselves to be kinder, to be more empathetic, to be, to practice more gratitude, you know, even if you're forcing yourself to do it in the beginning, it's going to be opening the window to guide our actions in, in this right brain manner. Um, you know, uh, what, what comes to mind to me is when we are giving once, uh, one of the special topics courses, we talked about ancient Egypt and how in ancient Egypt, 
you're, you were living according to the laws of mad or universal harmony and that the heart would be judged against a feather at death to, to pass along into the next dimension and the feather of truth. And then we started to read out loud all of the different things that they would ask the human being while judging, you know, things like, you know, did you give your body in its old age, what it gives you, what it gave you in its youth. And so many of these different principles. And, you know, one of the questions we asked is how could you today live according to these universal principles? And everybody in that room said, no, (laughs) we couldn't live according to these 42 judgments that they had in ancient Egypt. So we then we look back and this is where we said, you know, the reason we keep talking so much about the right brain and the left brain perception, it's a big part of that shift is a huge part of biogeometry because people want to go and look at ancient wisdom and look at ancient knowledge and, and try to manifest it today. But the problem is when we do that from our quantitative worldview and looking just back at our data bank, we miss a large part of their worldview. And we need to see things like in ancient Egypt, for example, how it was only after we could do brain surgeries that we could, that we started to think that, you know, when they found those holes in the skulls of mummies, that they could be brain surgeries. And so this is one of the reasons we talk so much about shifting that worldview. But what the 42 laws of judgment taught us or showed us when we asked the class that is it taught us that ancient men actually had a more rigorous standard that was probably easier for him to live by or for her to live by because they were living based on manifesting natural universal laws in their daily life. So when you're living in that way, it becomes harder to get off the path. And so it's a different set of standards of excellence that we can't place upon our society today. And we've never been the science to say, let's go backwards. Because when we look at evolution, we look at that there was this qualitative evolution and then the quantitative started to rise. But the problem is is that it surpassed the qualitative. And how do we bring the qualitative back up to meet the quantitative so that the same excellence of action or standards that was expected when you live according to universal laws becomes expected of every member of society today? You know, I communicate regularly with the beings of nature, be they plants or trees or things like that, stones, as I was describing earlier, because (laughs) they're all interested in us (laughs) for a variety of reasons. And um, one of my concerns when marijuana started getting legalized everywhere is that we were going to have a culture that was just stoned out of its mind. and, And, you know, though, there's some benefits to legalizing marijuana. There's also the side effects of commercializing it and turning it into just a garbage crop and treating the marijuana plant and the spirit like any other commercial crop. So I just was curious what the marijuana spirit had to say. So I connected to the spirit of the marijuana plant and said, I'm curious now that you're being legalized, and many more people are consuming you. Do you have a message for humanity? And guess what the plant said? Mm-hmm. It said, yes, <laughs> don't just stand there, grow. <laughs> <laughs> it says, you, you look at us, 
we look like we're not doing anything, but we're forever reaching for the sun and we love to grow. And our message to you is to don't just stand there, grow. And I thought that was so beautiful. Yeah, no. And you just, when you said forever reaching for the sun, and that's basically what it comes down to. So we look at a plant and a plant knows what to do. A bird knows what to do, you know, and it's not, they don't know what to do. Humans don't know what to do. And it's not because we're, you know, a lot of people, we like to think that we're smarter than animals, but it's the opposite. It's that the animal is actually in tune with nature and able to reproduce universal laws in its action. And a plant is able to do the same. And with the human being, yes, there's obviously laws coming in and governing our biological energy systems, but there is a lot of our thoughts and actions that we actually need to evolve so that we're able to reach those higher levels. Yes, I agree totally. Do you feel that we're suffering from the recapitulation of subconscious habit patterns that may have once served us but are no longer sustainable due to the global impact and the perpetuation of such habits as creating tools and machines and technology to do our work for us and make our life easier and things like that. I mean, you know, if we talk about subconscious habits, I I think a good thing to look at is let's talk about two types of habits. Habits that were at the origin of humanity, habits that date back to ancient man. And then habits that have arisen recently due to our modern society and ease of products of modern technology. Well, let's look at it. Let's look at these habits the same as food and our food system. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people are going back now and saying or realizing that there is, we messed up somewhere, right? We messed up in the way that we are dealing with food, that we have more of it, but maybe it's less nutritious. And we are going back to ancient ways of cultivating the land, ancient foods, ancient grains. And it's kind of the same way with habits. When we look at habits that came out of, again, going back to ancient men, habits that came out of wanting to create daily habits that that put you in laws, that put you in resonance with those universal laws, habits that centered your energy system. So you even spoke about this in the beginning where you said the importance of creating a daily ritual. Well, to me, this is the modern, just like in food, we're trying to grasp back to the ancient nutrition and ancient wisdom of cultivating the land. Well, to me, trying to build these daily rituals and these daily activities in your life is a way of us trying to go grasp back to the ancient habits or the ancient way of life that actually exists within our subconscious. We're just trying to revive them again. Yes, I agree. How much of our current environmental, social, and political crisis do you feel emanates from program behaviors that emanate from being led or directed by authority figures, such as government officials, big industry leaders, or religions that have programmed us for thousands of years to be subservient to authorities and do what we are told without asking questions or resisting what we feel threatens our well-being and freedom. In other words, how much of this situation is from just 
being passive to the Bill Gates of the world, the presidents, the industry moguls, the billionaires who are simply saying, this is how it's going to be, like it or not. We're going to put 5G in whether you like it or not. We'll write, the, we'll rewrite the laws. We'll keep you tied up in court for the rest of your life and break you financially. Um, you know, we've had a long, long history of human beings ruling, conquering, and making others into conformists. And, and history shows that repeatedly. And we're really in the throes of exactly that right now where our democracy is becoming a, a fascist organization with its own rules and no free, re removing freedom of speech. So, you know, the question is really, in your opinion, how much of the problems that we're facing today wouldn't be problems if we would actually function as a democracy and take the time and the energy to be informed and stand up for what we really believe in instead of just laying over, playing dead and keeping ourselves forever busy on iPhones and video games and pacifying ourselves with stuff. I mean, there's, there's a few things obviously to, to speak about here. You know, one of, one of the first things is what we must acknowledge also that we, a part of our, our, again, I'm going to keep going back to that sensory ego left brain during that conquering phase or that we that you were just mentioned right now or in the development of that sensory left brain perception of you know a society or a community or a country we see that there's a little bit of striving towards authoritarian systems and then this ends up creating a type of stress which actually turns against us and turns a society against itself in a way but when we go back now, I mean, one of the things that we've mentioned, and this is the big problem I, I find with authoritarian systems, is we talked about how we're not very clear as to our goals or our path as a society. And we're also not, and when we don't have clarity as to what we're actually striving for, then there is no way to to gain the knowledge in order to go towards that joint path. And there, there's, I think the biggest problem now is that there's a big difference between telling somebody what to do and having and guiding them from a place of benevolence because people will feel the difference between power and between help. And we need to go back and we talked about, you know, this concept. It's very important for us to realize if we are trapped in our own judgment. And if we're ever in a situation where we are trapped within our own judgment, it's very easy to, to see that, you know, if, if you find yourself today extremely caught up in one opinion, in one judgment, then that means that there's more knowledge to gain. And you know, at least that's that's always been the way I was raised when it comes to dealing with being told what to do or um, or under or deciding whether or not I like something. I was always raised that you know if 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 I'm being obviously you know if we're being told what to do, this is the stress that you're gonna push back. But there's a part of it where. If you're going to change your judgment, then you need to gain the knowledge. And once you gain the knowledge, then you can have the path that you know is correct 
and follow towards, you know, move towards that one path. But definitely there's a type of stress and a type of, the problem is that the authoritarian system is just expressing power and it's not expressing benevolence or understanding or guiding. Yes, I think, I think there's a need for healthy, nonviolent rebellion by those of us that know better. I mean, you know, you look at people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King and John F. Kennedy and Abe Lincoln, they all rebelled against the very kinds of authoritarian dictatorship type situations, whether it be not giving people equal rights or freeing the slaves, etc. Um, and they devoted their lives and, and, and gave their lives. They martyred themselves in, in many instances. But I think part of it is that humanity is going through puberty right now. And the situation in the world is one in which we have to stop being disgruntled teenagers that are distracted by uh, your favorite music and uh, things of little significance to the grand scheme of things and step into our adult shoes. So in a way, I really feel like that we're going through a collective rite of passage ceremony right now. I'm curious as to your thoughts on that. Yeah. And, and that's what I feel from the beginning when we said, you know, that the, our collective intellectual level is reaching its capacity in coping with being separated from the environment. And one of the things that we're, we're seeing, and this also, I think we just spoke about, but there's vulnerabilities showing in a system. And unfortunately, that system, rather than trying to adapt to the vulnerabilities that we're seeing and pointing out, is deciding to build up walls and move towards this authoritarian system, like you're saying. And their path is not guided anymore so much by science and knowledge. Because I can tell you, so I, you know, one of the examples I can give you, and this was, you know, I've seen my own father face it in Egypt when he was... Um, advisor to the minister of scientific research and he was out talking about biogeometry and this concept of, of shapes and energy and a lot of people in in obviously in the country said how can this guy be an advisor to the minister of scientific research look at what he's saying it's a bunch of woo and you know the minister had a very good um answer to this and he said well why don't we let him prove it you know, before we say it, why don't we set up the experiment for him to prove that shapes have energy? And then if he fails the experiment, then we can go ahead and say that there's no science behind this. And so he had a government lab set up the experiment where the, the details, you know, I, I don't know exactly, but it had to do with the growth of a specific of something in a, in a Petri dish. And there was a specific rate of growth that he was correct with shapes and he, he did it and he proved it. And, you know, of course, when you hear the story, he said, he's walking in, everybody's laughing at him and he's pulling out the shapes and it's not, you know, the environment that you would even want to, to like, I would want to see him in, but he went in and he proved it. And so the minister said, great, write him a paper saying that he proved that shapes have energy and shapes have an effect on life functions. And then basically they came and they said, no, our experiment was flawed. Oh my God. And of course, of course, you know, but then at that point, the minister also had a good answer. Well, he said, 
you know, he told my father, he said, you have, um, you have, you don't need to repeat this. You, we have a bigger problem if they're not able to create a non-flawed experiment and they're supposed to be some of the top scientists in our country. But my father agreed to go back and do it again. And this time it was like with a bunch of test tubes and closed and sealed and, you know, like repeated multiple times, like 16 test tubes or something. Again, he proved it. And the minister was so excited that he said, let's, let's create a lab in our country to begin to develop this. Right. So here's a minister of scientific research saying, let's, let's create a lab for this. There was, like I said, the guy, um, the head of the medical department of Azhar University at the time in the research went out and said, this is a science. And so there's this backdrop where you think, you know, if you're looking at it from the outside, you think there's suddenly going to be a spur of this research and this is going to just lead us into a new understanding of the energy of shape. And so they set up this, um, this lab to do research and everything. And, you know, months later, you know, the minister comes and he sees my father's no longer enthusiastic about actually running this lab, which, you know, everybody thinks that what could you want more than a funded research lab? And, you know, so the minister asked them, so what's going on? And they said, well, the shapes do what Ibrahim tells them to do. Oh, God. <laughs> They're there that now they're being woo woo. And then so well that was exactly it. You know, so then um you know the so the minister decided to joke and he goes, Oh, don't let Ibrahim hear you, he'll put a curse on you. And then my father was like, That's not funny. And he thought it was so funny to be joking with the people like that. Um and so it really shows though, it's a good the reason I'm saying the story, it's because here you are and we we met the standards, right? We met the standards that somebody else put, not us. But our, our, our ego, our left brain wants to build this world where we are diving more into what we know and what we know and we're proving what we think to ourselves and cutting everything else out. And this is what is happening in our society and a lot of the system today is we're saying, they're, they're, like I said, the vulnerabilities are showing and rather than adapting, they're building up walls. And so we're aware that there needs to be a paradigm shift. But, and I think for a lot of us, and, and I think you would agree that there's a way where there's a way to work together. And then there's a way where if you're, if you're just going to keep putting up walls, then you're, you're separating, you're causing a tension in the psyche. And that's what we're talking about, the dynamic tension that leads to evolution. But you just can't keep denying what's in front of you. No, you know, the thing is, eventually you get crushed by the weight of your own judgments, which at this point are illusions, because, you know, as the Buddha taught, one law of the universe you can rely on is the law of impermanence. Everything's constantly changing. So if the ideas you're using are not changing in harmony with what's needed as the environment or the world changes, then you actually um, encapsulate yourself in a uh an illusion and as arnold Patton says in his Ar universal principles that the principle of the universe is harmony so anything you'd create that does not follow the laws of the harmony of the universe you must provide the energy to maintain yourself and i believe that's one of the reasons we have so much chronic fatigue and so much depression and burnout today is because people are maintaining the illusions that got them in trouble in the first place, 
even when they know it didn't work the first time or the second or the hundredth time. In other words, people keep taking drugs and not taking care of themselves, getting surgeries and not taking care of themselves, um, using technologies that are dangerous, but ignoring the fact that it, there's a lot of research showing that it's problematic. But hearing the story about your father just reminded me of one of my favorite quotes from David Bohm. He said, real thinking is hard work. That's why most people just rearrange their prejudices and call it thinking. And that's exactly what your father came face to face with. No, I agree. And I think, I mean, the one thought that came into my head and the quote you, the quote you just said, put it perfectly in my head and it perfect, put it perfectly into context. I'll say even for me looking at him as a daughter, but when you look at this, when you look at the path he chose and the path, I'm going to say the path him and my mother chose because it was a joint path at that time, you know, um, my my grandfather had one of the largest uh, architectural offices in the Middle East, and my father's future was laid out for him. You know, he was my my grandfather ushered modern architecture into Egypt, and they had a huge architectural office. He was working with all of these different government bodies, and so as an architect, his career was basically, you know, ready to be the next golden boy of architecture in the Middle East, and it was there for him. And he started, he started already. And a lot of his first projects were extremely well known. And so a big part of it now, and this is what came into mind when you were saying this is, you know, why take the path of biogeometry when it was the harder path? But, you know, with what you just said, I, I realized that it's actually the easier path is that when you, the uphill battle is to deny biogeometry when you know there's a better way to do things. There's a lot of energy that would go into denying it, even though it seems like the easier path would have been to just continue as you know an, an architect and take over my my grandfather's architectural office. And I think it's the same thing as um, you know it it happens to all of us. Where I when I graduated, I hadn't started working in biogeometry, but there was effort. There was a much it was much more of an uphill battle to move away from this when you know there's a better way. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's kind of like when you hate other people, people forget you have to generate the magnitude of hate within yourself so you know how much you're hating somebody. Yeah. Or you don't know that you're hating somebody, which is why the old saying goes, Hating or holding judgments against other people is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die from it. So when we have these rigid judgments and, and resist new concepts and ideas for fear that maybe we're making a lot of money off of a bad idea, which is usually the big problem. Uh, and now we're going to have to change, you know, people just have a, an inherent resistance to change as a man that's owned many businesses. I can tell you, uh, you know, we went through a lot of changes in the Czech Institute and it was turned out to be quite interesting for Penny and I, because of at that time, our 20 something staff here in the U S 10 of them were the loudest complainers. So we got business consultants and we, made big efforts to make changes and guess who turned out to be the ones that absolutely resisted the change the most and ultimately we had to let them all go well it was the 10 people that complained the most that the business needed to change 
And so what you find is a lot of times the people that do the most complaining turn out to be the ones most resistant to actually doing the work to change, which requires them to grow. So it's just sort of an, it's sort of the inertia of the human psyche or the human ego, I think, that uh, really resists change, but it's really not very wise, especially today. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we always talk about, and this is um, like, you put a smile on my face with what you said, because we always remind people and, and they forget that a lot of times when we're dealing with subtle energy, people want to know, how do I protect myself? Right? How do I protect myself from psychic attacks? How do I protect myself from things that deplete my energy? And there's so many different techniques and things to do that. You can even do visualizations around your body. But we always say, you know, the hardest person or the hardest thing to protect yourself from is yourself. If, if you have, I mean, you said the word hate. If you have hate towards somebody, that hate is manifesting inside your energy system. And they're affecting you by you hating them. Yeah, it's the boomerang. There's no way to protect from that because it's coming from inside you. Yeah. Instead of the necklace, you need the L O V E. (laughs) Exactly. So we, you know, a lot of times this is actually the first response because we have people coming and saying, I think this person is wishing me ill. How do I protect myself from them? And the first thing we tell them is, One of the first steps, obviously, you know, we talk about wearing the L90, but as a part of what you can do, because we talked about, you know, what if you're not wearing the L90, but a part of what you can do is you have to realize that if you think they're wishing you ill, they are wishing you ill in terms of energy effect. Because as soon as we say their name, that ill effect is going to show up in your own energy system. And the opposite, bless them, it'll show up in your energy system as well. And we can measure that. I think... Part of our growing up is to realize that not everybody has to agree with us. And to the degree that we intuitively or instinctually or through life experience know that we're correct, like your father knew he was correct with what he was doing with those scientists, but to the degree that we know that we're correct and we're getting resistance like he did and like I have for forever through my career, um, I think part of the simple solution is just know that each individual has the responsibility and the right to their own opinions and judgments and that we don't have to let them affect us so strongly. We, we can just say, well, that person has the right to believe what they want to believe, but I don't have to let it bother me. And, and I have a PPS lesson, which is one of my pe- personal professional spiritual success mastery lessons and it's lesson nine called don't get your feathers wet and i use the analogy of a duck if a duck gets wet it'll drown if you've ever picked up a a down pillow out of out of a washing machine when it was wet it can weigh a lot so the duck in order to float has to keep its feathers closed and the oil on the feathers seals the feathers so that it's actually like a little boat floating. But if that duck's feathers get opened up and the water gets inside, it'll sink and drown. So spiritually speaking, if we just remember, we don't need to let our feathers get wet just because somebody else is, you know, barfing or peeing on us with their stuff. We can just allow them to, you know, kind of like a child that gets mad and says, I hate you, daddy. You can say, well, you know, that's just a child and that's the emotion running through them. I don't have to let it. I don't have to um, 
embody that emotion myself. I can just recognize the child there. And unfortunately, the world's full of children and adult bodies. And I think that's why I mentioned, you know, I really believe that what we're going through is a rite of passage. But all rites of passages that are authentic come with some real consequences. And one of those consequences is death. And in many tribes, if you did not make it through your rite of passage ceremony, they killed you because they could not carry children past a certain age that weren't contributing to the tribe. And so the reality of it is, is millions of people die every year and, and every day due to failing to pay attention to what they're creating, what they're putting in their mouth, how they're using their money, etc. So the rite of passage issue is going on perpetually, but we're just going through it collectively, I think. Yeah, I mean, you, we've been talking a lot about evolution and growth. And I think if there's nobody disagreeing with you, then then you're not evolving or growing. Right. You can't learn anything. You know, we all we all need multiple perspectives. This is why I often quote the statement if you put 12 enlightened human beings at a round table with a multi-colored bouquet of flowers in the middle and ask each of them what they're seeing, you'll get 12 different answers. But people have this sort of false impression that enlightened people all see things the same way that they can see through walls and that somehow they're beyond uh, human rational viewpoints and considerations and opinions, but it's just not true. The difference is enlightened people are willing to listen to other ideas and other people's opinions to get what's the best solution for all involved. Um, yeah. And I think also a, a big part of it is evolution and growth come from knowledge. And a lot of, you know, um, ideas or opinions or judgments or things that we would say we're, we understand why, why we're saying them. And that's what the path of knowledge gives you. And that's what, you know, we're, we're striving for when we talk about how do we, how do we get to, it's, it's a little bit of, I guess, when we look at it from a biogeometry perspective, it's a little bit of ping-ponging between, again, going back to that, asking the heart ethical judgment, that excellence of action and then learning and, apply, and then getting more knowledge and, and going back and, and living with an excellence of action and getting more knowledge. It's a two-way resonance street, two-way resonance between those two things, knowledge and intellect of the heart, knowledge and intellect of the heart that is leading the path. Yes. You know, there's a number of lines of energy channels within the earth that carry beneficial and disharmonious energies can you give us sort of a, a summary or an encapsulation, an overview overview of the various energy pathways, vectors, and their uh, what their functions are, such as ley lines and Hartman grid and things? Uh, what what's the basic structure that uh, people should probably have an idea about, just so they understand why there can be beneficial and and also damaging energies moving through the earth? So when we look at um, the subtle energy of the earth. We, we look at the, subtle, at the subtle energy of the earth, there's a level of a background weave of all types of different compression curves. And when we find, when we look at things like power spots, so one of the components of power spots that we explained is, for example, that you have streams crossing at specific angles. 
And these angles can actually produce a centering. The, the, the crossing of the streams creates this type of vortex, multidimensional energy, but you can get a power spot, which would be beneficial. You can also get a negative uh, spot. And this is normally when we're referring to grid lines, what we mean. Power spots a lot of times as well. When we talk about power spots or um, BG3 lines, a lot of times people refer to these as ley lines. And so when we begin to um, look at the different qualities of the earth, we find the things like you mentioned, the Hartman and the Curry grids, which are actually harmful to the energy system. And then the power spots, which we try to connect to, which become those centering, if you want to think of them as the vortices or the chakras of the earth. But there is an important part to understand when we talk about things like geopathic stress. I mean, the, the concept of the Hartman and Curry, if we go back to the first researcher probably to talk about grid lines and their negative effect on health was Von Paul. And he did a systematic study on different areas of geopathic stress and its association with cancer, where he found that 80% of the cases were clustered within 20% of the area. There's been a lot of studies after that. And then the opposite, when we talk about power spots, so power spots, you can see their use since, you know, since the dawn of humanity in ancient times and how these were identified a lot was looking at ways, for example, we looked at where animals would be um, attracted, the areas that animals are attracted to, but also areas where um, you would have, for example, uh, where milk would stay fresher longer. So they would look at the rate of fermentation where you would have circling doves and birds where things just looked healthier. Now, the thing about power spots to, to also understand is that the power spots are a type of um, communication. They're a grid that covers the whole world and the whole earth. And a lot of the electromagnetic radiation that we're adding in the environment is actually amplifying the effect of these grid lines in our environment. And this is one of the reasons we try to address geopathic stress by um but geopathic stress is part of our solution to address electromagnetic radiation as well. So, you know, a big part of it is just using a lot of times we look at how we can amplify the energy of a sacred power spot or amplify resonance with energy of a sacred power spot to take care of the effects of geopathic stress. Yes. Good. Thank you. You know, the aboriginals speak of communicating at long distances via song lines. I'm wondering if you have any idea specifically what the nature of the lines they're referring to is. So probably they're referring to the transfer of qualitative information between sacred power spots along ley lines. So in a telepathic subconscious form. So when we look at a lot of these power spots, there's lines actually connecting between them as well. Okay, great. You know, in the one of my favorite books, one of the, one of the best books I've ever seen on the uh, giving an, a really great overview of the Aboriginal culture is Voices of the First Day by Robert Lawler, and and it's it's just an incredibly beautiful book. But they describe how Aboriginals could just go to these special places they called the song lines and talk to people potentially hundreds of miles away. And say, okay, I'll meet you at such and such a place in three days. They'd walk for three days and they'd show up and exactly the person they were talking to would be waiting for them. But there was no cell phone. There was no hardwire, anything. This was, you know, thousands of years ago mm -hmm. uh, and before all these technologies were invented. So the paradox of that is they were using even more advanced technologies than we have today. 
which had no negative impact on the environment. So part of the reason I brought it up is because a lot of these ancient cultures had technologies, even though we call them antiquated and think that they were, you know, kind of dumb people and lived kind of grubby. <laughs> when you start really studying a lot of these ancient cultures, uh, they were beyond cell phones and they were smarter than us. So I think, you know, we really could benefit a lot by speaking to the elders of a lot of these communities uh, before they're gone. And a lot of us could do a huge favor for everybody else by learning some of these technologies and sharing them so that we practice learning how to use the potential of of our amazing minds and bodies as human beings and and that's the path of wisdom that we're speaking about that as you begin to gain knowledge that if you look at the ancient um, civilizations as dated and grubby and you begin to gain knowledge and you begin to move out of your comfort zone and you begin to even ask questions you know a lot of times we'll be talking to people about the pyramids and then they'll go yeah we've heard that there, these pyramids are energy emitters. And we're like, yes, yes, you know, they are. And then, yeah, so there's been, they're trying to prove that the energy, that the pyramids can create or emit electromagnetic radiation. And we always go, okay, but can we consider that there could be an energy, just because our complete thinking is all about electromagnetic radiation, we're stuck in this worldview, even when we talk about ancient Egypt, can we consider that they were using a different type of energy? that there's a different type of free energy that they could be accessing. And so we're always bringing this up as well when we talk about how you see ancient civilizations. Yes, exactly. We've covered the, the key elements of the question I had next as number 10. So let's jump forward to number 11 since we're kind of getting later in the show. And I wanna, uh, my dream is to get as many of these questions in as possible. What is the biogeometry, uh, biogeometry perspective on what consciousness is? So consciousness is the creative principle that exists before creation in a state where zero contains infinity. And so once activated by the law of time as the first pulse, it manifests as the universal mind of creation of which it is the permanent fueling force. So to, to, to bring it back to kind of one thing I said earlier is where we think about consciousness being that zero infinity state and then, and then traveling in, in the earlier class, you know, we talked the earlier class, the earlier podcast, we mentioned this point of the divan where you have that primordial fog and then it begins to manifest into the universal mind traveling all through the planes of nature down to the physical. So consciousness is the primordial stage upon which the universal mind brings the infinity of creation out of the zero state into this multidimensional stage, which we're living in, on which everything is played. And this is where I was mentioning earlier this concept of consciousness being, or, or the first level of consciousness being, you know, we, we talk about, again, that primordial state and then manifesting itself as awareness in the emotional level, the mental level vital level traveling down to finally that physical level yeah you know it's amazing to hear what you just said because that's exactly what my soul taught me through a long series of discussions and meditations and uh correlating what my soul was telling me with with uh 
a, a variety of other teachings from various experts, but you just almost verbatim said what I say to my students when I'm teaching them in holistic lifestyle coach level two and level three, what consciousness is. And I distinguish the difference between consciousness, which I spell in all capital letters and conscious of, which is what we're perceptibly aware of at any given minute through our sensory systems or our ego functions. And I tell people the reason researchers can't find what consciousness is is because they keep on studying people's brain waves and fMRIs, and they're actually studying the effects of consciousness and what the individual's interaction with the consciousness is, which is like trying to find the television wave in the TV instead of realizing the signal is coming from all directions at once as a wave. And so the distinction is, is that they keep trying to find consciousness without realizing they're studying the effects of what the person's conscious of, but consciousness is ubiquitous. It's everywhere and nowhere simultaneously because it is, it is the zero force or the zero point from which all things knowable or countable or experienced or experienceable is emergent of. It's the creative principle that informs everything else from top to bottom. Yeah, you know, I, I keep, we keep going back to that analogy. It's also, you know, our favorite dinner analogy kind of as a family, but we go back to Mr. Fish trying to create, <laughs> yeah. you know, and we all say that this is what we're doing. We're trying to discover, we're Mr. Fish trying to discover and create water. Yeah. You know, our, our educational systems have essentially eliminated any awareness of the subjective aspect of numbers leading to a mindset, a uh, mindset that essentially believes that only what can be weighed, measured, or counted matters. Yet for as long as human beings have been writing or archaeologists have been digging, we found indicators that human beings were indeed touched with and using an awareness of the subjective aspects of numbers in life. For example, Music and sound in general can be evaluated objectively, but the grand majority of people don't listen to music for its objective numerical value, but they do listen because the number sequences at the base of music affect us physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And astrology is one of the oldest sciences there is, but is largely based on the subjective qualities of flows of energy and information from different regions of our galaxy and solar system into our own lives as the rhythms and the flows of nature. Uh, we're all aware of the beauty of architecture, such as the pyramids, mosques, temples, and churches, but people don't go there in general to measure the angles and count the bricks. They go there because of what they feel inside, which is the subjective experience of the objective means used to construct such sites. In fact, Einstein himself is quoted as saying, not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts. So it seems to me he was implying that the subjective aspects of life, which cannot be counted, do count, and not everything that you can weigh and measure counts so much. So can you please explain the subjective and subtle aspects of numbers and why awareness of the subjective aspects of numbers is important and how it relates to biogeometry? I mean, one of the things we've been speaking about a lot is just quantity and quality being two sides of the same coin. And the example we gave with the prism where every angle 
refraction and with the white light going through the prism, we experience a different quality by seeing a different color. Or one of the principles that we talk about as well from quantity into quality is Pythagoras's monochord, where wherever you strike the monochord at a different quantity, you would be experiencing a different quality. And numbers are a very special part of biogeometry because um, when we look at numbers for their, we can, we can use numbers for healing, and we can use numbers for the energy quality they manifest. So, for example, the first number that gives us the centering quality, that BG three quality that we find at sacred power spots and that we've been talking about as this multidimensional vortex is 16. So 16 things together will manifest or create that energy effect of the center. So I even spoke earlier about a pendulum and when we spoke about, you know, what can people do? And I, I mentioned we have a pendulum that's made up of 16 discs. Well, that pendulum, and then it emanates that centering quality from its tip. So what that pendulum actually emanates is the energy quality of 16. And understanding the energy quality of 16 also helps you understand things such as uh, a little bit of, it's it's tied to sacred geometry and the Fibonacci series. But we- Yeah, I was going to ask you if that, if it was related to the, to the uh, fire ratio. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there is definitely a correlation there. With one difference in biogeometry that 16 is the first number to produce the centering quality with 19 for example being the one after 28 being the one after that and so when we understand numbers as qualities as well one of the things that we can even do is use them a lot of people are familiar with color therapy or therapy but one of the things that we actually teach is number therapy because if we begin to understand numbers colors sound smell touch taste as all manifestations of abstract universal qualities, and this comes from our understanding of everything as being in resonance and part of this universal harmony. This is the bringing in universal harmonics to the understanding of energy quality. Then number, we can actually talk about things such as number therapy because we talk about resonance between, for example, color sound, where there's also resonance between number and color, number and sound. So we actually use this as a type of healing in our courses where we teach how you can find the number that each organ needs and how you can bring in the centering quality into that by using the number 16. So one of the things anybody listening can can do, you know, at home is try to tap into the energy, that centering energy, using the, the number 16. So if you have you know, a space where you're doing an activity like yoga or Tai Chi, or you're meditating, try to find, you know, 16 local stones, like go out in nature, 16 stones and put them around, around you in a circle. You'll begin to manifest that center and quality in the space where you're opening up your energy system through these activities. So at 16, 19, what was the next one? 28? 28. And then we have 34. That's very interesting. I wonder if there's a ratio there. There's no quantitative relationship, but there's a qualitative one. And the 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 qualitative one is to understand where these numbers lie. So when we look at colors, when we look at we use a system where we place everything on a polarized circle. When I talk about a polarized circle, it's in relation to a specific energy quality related to what we say green or or north. 
and we can actually place all of our um, numbers, number qualities, color qualities, sound qualities, everything on the periphery of the circle. And what we look for in bigeometry is that when you look at the periphery as being the physical level and the center of the circle as being that universal um, BG3 energy quality, where we find there's certain points along the periphery of the circle where we find the center naturally, the center quality of the circle naturally manifesting on the physical circle. And these are windows for us. These are windows that take us straight to the center. So the 16 is one of those windows. The 19 is one of those windows, 28. But then, and then there's certain colors where we can find these windows. They're just very specific, certain sounds as well. And Amazing stuff. To go back to as well your um, the charging tray that you, you mentioned that you use. So how we were speaking that that charging tray is also dealing with the energy quality of numbers because it's designed to recreate the energy of the square root of two. And the angle of that charging tray actu actually comes from, if we go back to the Pythagorean theorem, and we look at where the Pythagorean theorem fails is when you have both sides equal to one, then C actually becomes the square root of two. And it was seen that that, where, that was where Pythagoras failed in his wisdom. But he didn't fail in his wisdom. When, when C is equal to the square root of two, it actually gives us that window that we look for, the property of that window that keeps on going, that BG3 energy quality. And that's the... the basically the secret behind the charging tray shape. What is the square root of two? Um, it's an irrational number. I think 1.4 something, something, something. I was just curious. Very, very interesting. I really love that. Um, you've talked about BG3. And I have down there, you know, why is it so important? But if I'm understanding what you're saying, it's because it's a centering energy. So it, it seems to me as a centering energy, it would sort of function like an axle that allows other things to move around it or like the eye of a storm. Is, it, is that an effective way of thinking about BG3? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if we look at, so the birth of bigeometry was trying to find um, the code to unlock the how we can detect and recreate and amplify the energy of a sacred power spot and why we call it centering. Part of the reason is that it exists at the center of a, when we look at a circle, it exists at the center of a circle. And that's important because the center of a circle actually doesn't exist, right? So you can always, if I tell you where's the center of a circle and you put a little dot and then I can expand the center. So the center becomes the center of the center. So it really creates this doorway, this gateway. And the reason we call it a centering energy is because it's actually, when we look at exposing your body to this energy quality, whether there are organ functions that are underactive or overactive, they will benefit from this energy quality. It will begin to bring them back to the center. And there's no effect of directionality or dosage when it comes to this power spot energy. And then we see the effects multidimensionally from the physical up through all the planes of nature. So this, I, 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 sorry, I don't mean to interject. I, I just, I remember you talking about that in our last podcast. And I really thought that was just such amazing because that's, that's the epitome of medicine right there. When you think of what a medicine's supposed to do, 
drugs take you in a direction. They're either suppressing or stimulating, to put it into a sort of a simplistic viewpoint. But when you're talking about an energy that you can produce in your environment that will downregulate what's too stimulated and upregulate what's too depressed or too sluggish, that's real M-A-G-I-C-K. And then when we look at where you find it in the body, you know, if we look at, you talked about that still point, the eye of the hurricane. Well, if we even look at the double helix structure of the, the DNA, there's the axis right in the middle produces that BG3 energy quality. If we look at the chakras, you detect that BG3 energy quality. So actually, that is the definition of a chakra as it exists in biogeometry. We look at the shape of the human body. And then when we looked at the shape of the human body and we looked at where are these vortices that are always in constant communication, they happen to land exactly where the chakras are in, a, in the traditional chakra system. And we work with a 10 chakra system with three above the head. And the ones above the head, I suspect, would be in other dimensions beyond the seven? I mean, usually there's, so in, in a lot of practices, they talk about the seven and then they talk about three between the legs. And then in measurement, you can find the three between the legs, but you can also find three above the head. And yes, they would be related to um, different than the, than the ones that we find on the body related to the function of physical organs as a part of their function. But what happens is the three between the legs are associated with the three above the legs. But the three between the legs we don't work with because what we've actually found is if those, if, you, if you're not familiar with how to work with chakras, Having those three chakras open or um, imbalanced creates a lot of, it cre- makes you more vulnerable to different types of geopathic stress. And then one of the things that we found is that the three above the head will automatically center or balance the three between the legs. But working with the three between the legs will not automatically balance the ones above the head. So again, we're following as above, so below. So below. And then moving forward now even more to to the difference between pushing energy up or having energy pulled up. And what we're trying to do is not push from the base. We're trying to activate the highest um, chakra so that it pulls energy through all the rest. And a lot of times as well, when we see different chakra images, we see somebody sitting with their legs crossed. And what that does is it actually takes the bottom blocks. three, exactly, takes the bottom three and blocks them and protects them um, by bringing them into your body. Yeah, it creates a short circuit, really, from an electromagnetic perspective. It's like putting positive and negative together. Mm-hmm. That you, you can always tell that when you're engaging someone. If they don't want to hear what you have to say, they'll cross their arms or cross their legs in a chair or both. My mom will always do that when we're, if, if we're ever speaking and any of us cross our arms, she goes, uncross your arms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen yeah. <laughs> with your whole being. Yeah. Um yeah, that's beautiful. You know, um one of the books I have my students read for HLC3 training is the Encyclopedia of Subtle Energy Anatomy by Cynthia Dale, who's just absolutely an amazing mystical healer, scientist woman of of <laughs> tremendous power and uh she shows different chakra systems. I studied the nine Egyptian, nine chakra system or nine Egyptian light bodies with a very famous shaman who 
was my original teacher that turned me on to mandala therapy and many other things. She was just a masterful, masterful human being. She died a few years back, unfortunately, but, uh, uh, you know, there's the Taoist system of three chakras and then all the way up to 21 chakras. So I think it just depends on how capable one of per- is perceiving subtle energy dimensions and what the cultural tradition is. Uh, but my experience is if you work with any of those systems effectively, that it's affecting you at all levels. Yeah. I mean, it's nice when we, when we start looking at the body as a shape, because we can, we can play around, right? So even the chakras, we can, like I was talking about actually positioning wooden mannequins in specific shapes to see, um, to see the effect. So one of the things that we actually do is we will take a wooden mannequin and activate one chakra and see what other ones get activated at the same time. And so we've actually began to develop a system of the relationship between them, which one to work with first, which one to work with second, how they, how they relate to each other. So it's, it's always been a fun um, area of research when it comes to the shape of the human body. I would like to share something with you. I'm going to have to send you a diagram because so many of the books on the chakras contradict each other. I mean, most of them do. Whenever I run into these contradictions, I know that's great spirit telling me to talk to my soul to resolve the issue. And so my soul taught me how the energy moves through the chakras and it created, I I drew a diagram of it, created a very interesting image. Um, I'd love to share it with you, see what you think when you see it. it. Yeah, I'd love to see it. So I'll get that to you. Um, Just because we're getting late in the show, maybe we can sort of cover these next few questions and be a little more less we'll we'll just try not to expand any more than we have to because i'd love to see if we can get through all of these things um can you give us a a clear definition between a sign a sigil and a symbol um and the importance of these distinctions in biogeometry or just in general because i think there's a lot of confusion out there on the difference between a sign a sigil and a symbol all of these, I would say, fall a little bit differently than the field of biogeometry, where signs, sigils, and symbols are usually working on the subconscious level of the perceiver in a psychological or philosophical way. So in biogeometry, we use specific shapes to create this quality. And a lot of them are actually related to energy flows that exist within the body. And you can actually begin to trace some of these are similar energy flows with um, different types of, like we said, those pendulums calibrated to specific angle qualities. And a lot of times when you look at our shapes, you can actually see um, the relationship to the organ shape itself. Some of them are a bit more elusive. Um, They usually represent energy flows on higher emotional and mental levels, which we also teach how to access and measure. So once, once somebody has that, then they can also begin to see the energy functions and flows within the body on those levels. Usually, as far as, um, you know, when we hear symbols, usually that, that means referring to a whole concept or belief. Sigils are, are different in the sense that, um, you know, they, they can, depending on the type of sigil, can open a certain subconscious path to other entities to create effects on physical dimensions. And I see sigils as, as a form of antenna. 
Yeah, exactly. And so that's basically it. So opening the path as, as tuning, you know, different types of sigils can be tuning the body, opening up a path to a certain type of energy quality. And then, you know, signs um, are also signs help us in terms of pointing to certain directions, whether it's in a conscious or subconscious way. Great. That was my bulletproof quickly bullet point answer i mean <laughs> yeah i would expand on that myself and just share some viewpoints but i want to get through the rest of the questions so i'll save that for a future conversation um as a language of shape what does biometry uh, biogeometry see the function of the spiral as in creation and how is the spiral form or shape relevant to biogeometry and and i'm sharing that for a very good reason in my studies of quantum physics, there's torsion fields, and what they see in atom colliders in every case, when atoms collide, the subatomic particles that emerge from the collision are always moving in spiral patterns. And they find this in uh, all sorts of investigations in atom subatomic physics and atomic physics and uh, various other forms, and even the ancients drew lots of rock carvings and things basically showing that the spiral pattern was the really the the pattern that life emerges from so i'm asking that with my own knowledge of the spiral and as an artist and how i use spirals in art i'm just curious what's the bio biogeometry perspective on the spiral i mean so this goes a little bit back to that energy key we explained earlier and how every movement or every pulse creates if you want to think of it like a little apple or donut shape with that wormhole in the middle again what we refer to as that torus shape and so we look at that as the basic really pulse of creation it's a multi-directional spiral shape that arises around any motion forming a vortex that creates this torus around it so that's the energy key where any form of motion creates and we can measure the four energy qualities um right like we had mentioned the clockwise the counterclockwise where it's going where it's coming from it also behind this energy key, you know, it goes down to, like you said, those atomic levels and goes up to all different kinds of placement systems, you know, things like um, any type of tradition that uses different types of directionality. So we have this in ancient Egypt, but even traditions such as Feng Shui and Vastu. But to us, going back to that torus shape, it's basically the rotation of the multidirectional spiral creates this time-space connection around the linear motion. I love that. I, I have a question for you that's not one that I wrote down, but I have a funny intuition, not funny, but an intuition. You might be able to shed some interesting light on this. In pretty much all the native healing traditions around the world, where they use concepts like a medicine wheel or the four directions, they attribute different energies to north, south, east, west, above, below, and center. And a lot of those traditions do not ascribe the same qualities. For example, in my system of alchemy, um, the west is the air element, north is the fire, but in most systems, it's uh, not fire. It's usually water or a different one. Uh, east in mine is the earth element and south is the water element, which without going into a long explanation, but I did a lot of work with uh, getting guidance from <laughs> other beings, but uh, particularly Carl Jung and Rudolf Steiner, who I communicate with as spirit guides, 
But I'm wondering, how do you see from your perspective or the biogeometry's perspective, what's causing the differences in the north, south, east, west energy qualities? I'll try to keep this short. But one of the things when we talk about biogeometry, we actually talk about what's the principles behind biogeometry we call the physics of quality. And if you want to think of it as our work in biogeometry is manifesting the, the essence of the physics of quality and all the principles we're seeing there. But the importance of that is that when we begin to, we begin to evaluate and interact with everything, not through the mental level, but through the vibrational level. This is important because we can actually create a unified system. And this is what we're seeing in a lot of our classes where we're able to bring in people from different practices that understand that there's so many traditions that bring in a mental interpretation to a vibrational quality or bring in a mental word to a vibrational quality. So a lot of times we'll actually be in so many different systems speaking of the different, of different things, but that comes from us adding language to a vibrational quality. And so it also comes from that we have to spend a lot of time defining the words that we use very carefully because they in other systems. So a lot of times you know, it, like you like you said, automatically we're drawing the same thing. We're seeing it in different traditions and different civilizations where, and this is what you were just mentioning, but what we begin to find is when we look at them at the vibrational level, even if to us, the words that we refer to, that we use to refer to these levels is different, that we find that the laws and interaction with these levels are the same across all of the different traditions and practices. And so this is where um, I think once you can, once we'll, we'll, once we can, and we do measure the, those four different qualities, we're actually able to measure their effect. And, uh, you know, a part of it is we also do a placement system where, you know, north, south, east, west, we mentioned in the beginning where, and you even mentioned it with the rocks, where we find that however way we rotate our body, as you begin to just rotate your body around, you will find that there's different effects that the body is changing based on directionality. Right. We talked earlier about angles and perspectives. If you take a circle or a sphere, which is really a, a symbol of the divine, or look at a clock, for example, 12 o'clock is different than 3 o'clock and its energy is different than 6 o'clock is different than 3 a.m. or 9 a.m., um, would it be safe to say that maybe the directional energies are also giving us different qualities relative to the centering energy? Definitely. I mean, we talk about uh, when we, we can take that energy key that we just spoke about and we can divide it into um, energy qualities based on what we call color qualities, based on their resonance with color or based on their resonance with polarity. So every single direction does give you a different energy quality. Yes, beautiful. Now, what functions does the DNA offer from the energetic perspective of biogeometry? For example, is DNA seen as a hardwired information, or is it seen as an antenna system that connect to, connects to and conducts subtle energies from multiple dimensions of reality? When we look at the, the DNA as a dual spiral around a primordial, spiritual, harmonizing, invisible axis, that's how we can understand its configuration. And the reason I'm saying that is because how we just spoke about that you have two, um, two spirals and where do we find BG3? Right at the central axis. So right at the center of the DNA exists that wormhole. 
And so there is this center of a subtle energy, invisible torus that contains and exchanges information constantly with the environment. So it's definitely not this static physical aspect of, of the body. It's constantly exchanging information, evolving. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of that now is, is growing due to fields such as epigenetics, a lot of that understanding. You know, one of the, I think I might have mentioned this in the last podcast we did together, but I'll mention it again because it was such a mind blowing display. Um, on Greg Braden's show, uh, Missing Links, I think in episode series three, uh, he showed something wild. Scientists created a vacuum and then they monitored photon emission from the vacuum. And what they show, what they showed was just photons emerging and just sort of flying around at random. So all of a sudden, and they actually had film so you could see this. So you'd see what looked like a little firefly all of a sudden emerge and just sp- like a spark coming out of nowhere, but there was no pattern to it. Then they took a strand of DNA. I believe it was human DNA, if I remember right. They put it inside the chamber and sucked everything out of it so it became a vacuum and then looked at the photon emission and all the photons that were being emitted out of nothingness imitated the shape of the dna and spiraled around it like sufi dancers spinning around an axis and it was just the most beautiful thing but it showed that the dna is actually organizing light and producing structure which I thought was just absolutely gorgeous and really concluded that a lot of the things that my soul had taught me through my inner vision work were exactly correct. And my soul teaches me things. Then all of a sudden I'll see a documentary or my soul will guide me to a book and there it'll be right there. And that was one of those, you know, synchronistic moments where I was like, wow. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that can you, this just came up when you were speaking, you know, one of the things that, you know, I always have to even remind myself is when we're speaking about the DNA or speaking about shapes or speaking about, um, you know, all, all of this, any, everything we've been speaking about that when we talk about the DNA being, um, a dual spiral around this invisible axis, we always have to remember that the invisible axis came first. Yes. It's the point. It's, and so it's, beyond, it's, the it's beyond time and space. Exactly. And so the same thing, even when we talk about a circle and in a shape where we measure the centering quality, we have to remember that we see the shape, but it's we have to go back and understand that that centering, that, that vortex existed before the shape. Yes. You know, I just have to share something with you uh, in, and, and the audience for those that are interested. But, you know, I get visions as I'm talking to people and I think you might remember when I was talking to your dad last time, he kept triggering visions in me. And um, my my son, Paul Jr. and his partner, Katie, are, are uh, having a baby in January. So I'm going to be a grandfather in January, which is quite exciting. And I've been, I often go into meditation and um, talk to a person's soul and paint something for them as a gift to help well you've seen it actually i shared one with you that i did for jason so you you know what i do yeah well i've been i've been sort of asking my soul to connect to my my grandson's soul and ask what i'm supposed to paint for him and i wanted to share with you that while we were talking the vision came to me and i know exactly what i'm going to paint and it's a black sun 
with the infinity symbol running from top to bottom, which has a, a beautiful kind of fractal mosaic to create the infinity symbol. And then it's a, the sun is flaring with all the different colors of the rainbow. And it's just, it's so such a blessing. So it's, it's interesting how me speaking to you today opened the gateway for me to receive the image I've been now waiting for for probably two months. Well, first, congratulations. And then, you know, the infinity symbol also has a meaning in terms of by geometry, where when we actually, we've been talking about this energy key and this torus shape and how every motion creates a set of energy keys. And we talk about, there's a practice where we talk about entering the energy key and how the clock, the counterclockwise of the energy key is spiritual growth, but can lead to the spiritual growth can lead to a bit of physical depletion. And so normally we enter our energy key from a clockwise side and ritual helps relieve the tension as if we enter the energy key from the counterclockwise side. And the infinity symbol is actually one of the rituals, one of the shapes that you can just trace on your body so that you can move smoothly between the counterclockwise and the clockwise side of the energy key. So you're, you're easily flowing between both. Love it. And you can feel ease when you do it. So it's. Yeah, I do a lot of work with symbols in my spiritual practice, and I'm very tuned to the energy of symbols. And I wish I had more time to talk about that, maybe another time. But it's, uh, it's, there's so much going on that is taught in mystery schools and in the ancient mystical traditions that people today are just clueless to. But if they knew these things, they'd find that there's so much magic that they can create in their lives that they wouldn't just be watching mindless television and crap on this or that <laughs> YouTube or whatever. They, they would actually be engaged in, in the complete magic of life. Um, a question I'm really interested to hear your answer to is what does biogeometry attribute, attribute spin to? In other words, why does water rotate when going down the drain, for example, or why do all galaxies spin? The idea of spin is that we actually say that there is no linear motion, right? So even when we when we look at the energy key we've been speaking about, what appears to be a linear motion, there is a spin moving around it. And so for us, that goes back to, again, that, that energy key and that we always see um, that it can be either visible or invisible, but there is every motion always has a spin around it. And this is our time space configuration. That's beautiful. You know, in your father's book, which I've been uh, doing some reading in, which uh, I've read, I've read some good chunks of both of his books. Um, the one he titles biogeometry signatures, he talks about sacred sky locate locations. And that's the first time I've ever heard anybody mentioning it other than maybe in native american or native cultures uh, worshiping the god of the sky can you elaborate on the nature of sky locations and i'm also i'm curious because if he can identify power spots in sky regions what kind of complications are we filling are we creating by filling our skies with uh, objects like uh you know space probes and and uh, satellites because there's great I've seen several good articles now showing that we're creating a hell of a problem because we're littering space. And this one article I showed showed actually just 
uh, in the Earth's orbit. There's just like mountains of broken down satellites and stuff. And one of the concerns is they can come crashing to the Earth unexpectedly. And so the two questions are, how, how do you, what is a sky location? How do you find them? What are they for? And what's the ramifications potentially of filling the sky with junk? So we can actually measure sacred uh, sky location. And so it's the same, just like the power spots on Earth. You have certain stars or the areas around them where we're finding BG3. One that you find mentioned in a lot of traditions is the star Sirius. And we actually have um, a piece of music that um, my father worked on with my husband, who's a composer, and it's called the Sirius Odyssey because it was designed to recreate that energy quality of the star Sirius using bigeometry design principles and the music. And we basically tell people, you know, when you have it in the background, you know, whatever you're doing, imagine you're doing it sitting on Sirius. And, you know, when we talk about what everything that we're doing, modern technology is doing, it's definitely going to, through modern technology, we would be disrupting the connections that ancients use things such as uh, there'll be different types of in the pyramids aligning the shafts or specific menhir uh, configurations to enter into resonance with sky locations. We would be affecting that and causing imbalance. Yeah. Wow. I have had so much fun with you. You're as exciting as your dad. I got to say, good job, man. This has been a rocket ship ride. I hope everybody's enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, well, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I can tell because your soul is just so engaging. You know, it's just like, you know, this is such important stuff. I mean, this is real education. This is this stuff has the power to change your life. Just awakening to these possibilities is so beautiful. And I think one of the things that's come out of our conversation, at least for me, is it loops back to the power and the potential of each of us to contribute and to grow and to heal and to participate and to be aware of the amazing beauty and harmony that exists right down to the very atoms of our body through the dna to the earth to the sky i mean the whole thing is sacred and if we just realize how magnificent and amazing and wondrous and mysterious and magical it is to even be here alive to have this human body that's wickedly amazing and complex and to learn about how integrated everything is and how powerful our choices are i mean i can't think you know i'm gonna probably have to listen to this podcast three more times just to harvest the juice of it myself but in closing out, why don't you just give us a quick, once again, overview of the things that people can buy from the Biogeometry website, which if I remember right, is biogeometry.com, right? Yeah, that is the website. Um, so, you know, there's the home kit, which we mentioned, the L90, which we spoke about. So usually when people go, where do we start? You know, we say for your home, the home kit, for your body, the pendant or ring that we have in the L90. There's some products where, you know, if you're getting an electric car, consider the biogeometry car strip. You can even consider putting two in the car strip, uh, two strips in the car. Um, and so that's one product we didn't mention, but might be good to know about. I even spoke about. Music. Yeah, we did talk about that. Your father mentioned that in uh, the first podcast and I had people 
getting a hold of me going, oh my God, I got an electric car. I'm glad I heard that podcast. I got to fix that up. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's an important one. And we've seen a lot of, I mean, the biggest feedback we've got in terms of that is just in terms of fatigue when driving. Uh, and then we also have, I mean, what basically because of also COVID and the world situation, we've launched our courses online. Right. And, and you're offering a, a discount. Is that correct for listeners? Yeah. So we are, we're going to keep it ongoing because our, a lot of your listeners are probably in North America. But they're all so over the our, world. This podcast yeah. is all over the world. If they're not on the West Coast, then they'll find, uh, we do have one class with open spots. The one that would work for West Coasters is actually full. So we're adding another one. Great. And so definitely the, they will all have a discount code. Um, of, they check 75 and that gives them a $75 discount on the class. Perfect. And Penny will also put that in. So Doria, thank you so much. I'm so proud thank of you. You. <laughs> you know, thank you for having me. your father just, he must just be so in love with all of his kids because you guys all seem to be so intelligent. I mean, I haven't met your your other siblings, but they cannot be too much different than you because they're all coming from the same beautiful seeds of mom and dad. And And I'm so grateful that you're in the world and I'm so grateful that our paths crossed. And I just feel so blessed to just be able to share time and space with you and your father and share biogeometry with people. I think seven of my students have signed up. One of my personal clients signed up immediately. Um, and uh, Angie's going through the training and she's already really digging it and uh, doing the research that comes with the training. And so I'm really happy to have Angie doing the training so she can, because she loves our land and she's very much a, a nature girl and she's into labyrinths and uh, you know, she, between her and Penny, they're going to turn this place into the garden of Eden. So we're really excited to have you guys come visit us as soon as it can work out. But uh, I just, I can't say enough how grateful I am for you and your father and biogeometry. And I really feel it's, I feel like I'm doing what my heart brought me to the world to do. And my soul brought me to the world to do by sharing people like you and your father and this kind of information. Cause this is what really makes my juices flow and makes me feel that I'm living my dream. So what a great opportunity to live our dreams together. No, I'm, you know, likewise, I'm so happy to be here speaking to you. And, and, you know, you spoke about my family, of course, I have to acknowledge all of them, you know, not just getting knowledge from my father, but from my mother and my siblings. And I get to be the youngest one. Um, you know, they're, they're much, they're well, not, I'm not going to say much older in case they listen to this podcast, <laughs> um, but they're grouped together. And then uh, I'm the last one kind of coming in and listening and observing and learning from, from all of them. You'd never know it. You carry the energy of, a, of the first child. You, you, you have that sense of direction and, and uh, just sort of clarity about you uh, that typically you see in the first child. I'm the oldest of my siblings and sort of always was a leader, but uh, uh, it's all beautiful. Like I was mentioning to you in the break, you know, it's, it's nice when, when I get to speak with somebody and it ends up feeling like a family dinner conversation. So I'm, you know, comfortable speaking and, and sharing and, and thank you for having me. Yes, my pleasure. And once again, I hope many of my fellow podcasters 
take the opportunity to uh, access you and share the wisdom of biogeometry and you and your father. And we could all really do a lot to make the world a better place. So for all of you listening, I hope this has been a very educational, inspiring podcast. And I want to thank all the sponsors of Living 4D and their products are, and values are totally in line with what I really believe the world needs. So I'm grateful for all the sponsors. And thank you all for sharing the podcast. And I know some of you don't like long podcasts, but I really feel it's important to get past the superficial uh, stuff and get really into the kind of depth that we're doing here. So if you love it, please share it. Help me grow the podcast. And uh, the more people that we can get listening to podcasts like this, uh, the faster we're going to educate and engage each other and our own growth and development and harm, bring harmony to the world. So lots of love, everybody. Doria, thank you very much. I can't wait to do our next podcast and we will work on when that'll be. For sure. And thank you again for having me. Aho, great spirit. It is done. It is done. It is done. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Dorea Karim. Connect with Dorea on Facebook at Biogeometry Energy Systems or online at biogeometry.com. That's B-I-O-G-E-O-M-E-T-R-Y.com. Get a 10% discount on Biogeometry products online at biogeometryshop.com using the promo code CHECK10. That's capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, one zero. You can also order products direct from Egypt by emailing egyptshop at biogeometry.com and mentioning the promo code CHECK10. If you are interested in a deeper dive into biogeometry, check out the online Biogeometry Foundation training taught live with Dorea Karim and Laya Karim. Use the promo code CHECK75, that's capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 75, for $75 off the upcoming class in March. Go to biogeometry.com and click on the courses and events tab. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash Living4D with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and the Czech Institute's new streaming media site, chakiva.com. Music